So, uh, uh, so Joe. Here you go. This is what uh, this is what the internet is telling me. This is obviously a hundred percent true. Absolutely. Um, a century ago, there was a bunny overpopulation in Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and residents turned the pelts of Peter Rabbit's great great grandparents <laughs> into a wrap that loosely resembled what is known today as a bunny hug. Wow. That's Did from the National know. Post. I don't know. Oh, a very well-renowned newspaper, yeah. <laughs> it's our version of Fox News. But that story um, <laughs> that story actually does seem to make some sense. So there you go. All right. So Joe was right. You heard it here for the first and only time. <laughs> I'm so glad we're here. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny that you say that, Delusions, because I'm looking at, Jen, I found my notes from when we originally covered this episode back in, you know, a year ago. And one of the first things I have on my notes is Gildan flashback. I was right. (laughs) (laughs) So it comes full circle. It comes full circle. And with that, welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of Feather and Mountain Podcast. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel. With me, as always, is my co-host, Graham Confusion. Graham, how you doing? Hey, Grendel, I'm doing pretty good, just kind of hanging out in uh, depressing weather, but that's what November's all about. Hoping our friends south of the border had a great Thanksgiving over the last few days and did just a boatload of shopping on Friday and Monday, because that's what you're supposed to do to get the economy going. But otherwise, uh, you know, just hanging in, trying to watch some TV shows and figure out what the heck's going on. This is the way. Uh, speaking of friends south of the border, today we are joined by the fantastic Talker and Riyadh. Joe, Tom, Jen, what the fuck is up? <laughs> you say south of the border and I almost felt compelled to do a Mexican accent <laughs> just because that's what south of the border is for us. <laughs> but then I thought twice because I thought it might be offensive. You were right. You were right in the second thought, Joe. Character um, yeah. growth. <laughs> we're doing well i think uh i'll speak for everybody we're doing well uh we're really excited to be here thank you so much for having us on yeah thank you for I coming uh how was your thanksgiving what's going on what's going on as we get ready for christmas uh anxiety <laughs> <laughs> mostly but no anxiety i'd like to so, hear a little it's bit a more wonderful about that. time of year well, I have to buy a lot of people gifts and worry about that. I don't know if the men buy as many gifts as the women or worry about and have lists like I have for every single person I know. Well, that's your problem. You're buying gifts for every single person you know. Not every single person I know, but I have like, you know, the list of all the teachers, all the therapists, all this, all that, the coaches. Oh, you're a really yeah, good person. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. It's a lot. Uh, I don't understand when this happened. Like, I know my wife is also collecting a list of teachers. I'm like, when I grew up, but I don't know, maybe they, not a teacher, not one, got any gift ever. From, not even from, a Starbucks they, they were, gift card? <laughs> no. Like, they were people that... Like were there Starbucks around when we were young? I don't know. <laughs> I'm very, I don't think so there no. were. But sorry, um, McDonald's. No, that's a weird Dunkin thing. Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, there was a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, Time to make the donuts. Yeah, I. But we 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 used to split up the gift buying in my house. Uh, but then, as Jen mentioned, right now there's all these people that I don't think about as people. 
that we buy gifts for. And I don't. <laughs> You're such a horrible person. I hope they hear that. It's the most <laughs> wonderful the time or, the of hell? the year. These are they're people the, shaping their children's lives. They're just. They're they're servants. They're cogs in a machine. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god. Tom, just stop talking. <laughs> okay, jo- Joe. What's what's what's? At what point did Tom stop speaking for all of us? Because I hope it was no, before. No, still that. doing it for the rest of the like, episode. Okay, really. <laughs> no, Let's see, no. I, I'm going to ask you a question. Think back to your grade school years. <laughs> what was the name of your gym teacher? And how Ms. big Allman. of an impression did that person have on Mr. your life? Mr. McKenzie, and he 100 percent was a pedo. Mr. McKenzie, if you're sorry, listening. Sorry, hold on. Uh, come back on that one, please, because that would be the first time that I, as a parent of a, <laughs> oh, of a no, great I schooler, definitely, definitely a, told you about Mr. McKenzie. Is, I think uh, maybe no, I was, he this was is the where... teacher. He was the teacher that, like, do you remember those, like, the uh, cartoons they showed in grade six about, like, your changing body? And it was like, so he was playing it for his class and it was about puberty and uh, it was like developments happen. And then on the screen of a cartoon 12 year old, she went from being flat chested to having quite a huge rack. And his response to that in front of his 30 impressionable 12 year olds was to say, hubba hubba. <laughs> wow! I, wow! That's just back then. That was normal, though, right? Wasn't it? I know that was in the year two thousand. That was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Even in two thousand, I'd say early two thousands is where it started getting becoming inappropriate <laughs> because of that comment. <laughs> yeah. Hubba, hubba. That was the last hubba, straw. Hubba. A animated, bad animated cartoon, and the teacher goes hubba hubba. Yeah. Awesome. Unrelated, unrelated to that one. We'll just segue into something nicer. We watched another cartoon thing where it was like penises come in all shapes and sizes, just like noses. And then a bunch of penises danced across the screen with those uh, like glasses on, so they looked Bachelor like the, <laughs> so they looked like the oh fake little noses. <laughs> and that went on wow. for about thirty seconds. Great video. Whoever made that one. Top marks. <laughs> wow. I thought oh the dancing God. hot dogs from the 1950 drive-ins were bad, but that, wow, <laughs> dancing penises. There you go. There's a new Chippendale show. Uh, maybe, no, nah, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Haven't watched it yet. Um, but speaking of TV shows, we're not here to talk, to talk about dick noses. We're here to talk about <laughs> the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime, specifically this week, episode four, The Dragon Reborn. Dun, dun, dun. Um, good, good, good name for the, from the show, though, right? Because, you know, even if you don't know a whole bunch at this point coming out of episode three, you, you know that there's a dragon, a dragon reborn concept. So this tells you that you've finished the season, I think, is what they tried to tell you, right? Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating when they released these before the show started, and people were trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we got up to episode six for the titles, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. And so right. we were like, "How do we have the Dragon Reborn and then the Flame of Tarvalon as episode five? So they're finishing book one in four episodes. 
There is no other explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> luckily, not the case, or unluckily. Um, maybe we won't talk about the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. Uh, but Dragon Reborn, a year after its air date, broad strokes, broad thoughts. Um, what was your impression of this episode, Joe? Um, so going back and watching it, I enjoyed it. Um, I had forgotten some things that happened in it. And I, you know, I think I realized I forgot them because I might have blocked them out of my mind because they didn't, <laughs> they were things that bothered me about the episode. But overall, it was a good episode. The ending, the end scene is really good and also really annoying. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, we can get into that later. But overall, I thought it was just one of the stronger episodes of the entire season. Um, the Loghain character. I love Alvor Morte, although I think there's a part where Lan says he's 10 years too old to be the dragon. And I'm like, you mean 20 years too old? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's clearly in his 40s. <laughs> but whatever. You know what? They don't have Botox. I don't know. I can't explain it. He's Spanish. He just looks, like he just looks so much younger. <laughs> I, I get maybe in this in this incarnation of the show using the p one power ages you further <laughs> makes you look older instead of slowing the age I don't know uh, Jen broad thoughts I agree um, I really liked this episode I liked how we got to meet more Aes Sedai and we learned a lot more about channeling and uh, like Joe said the, the final fight scene was really well done, I thought. So this is, I, I definitely enjoyed this episode um, a lot. And I liked the other storylines also that were going on too. Tom and the Tinkers. There was some good scene, some good scenes in that too. So overall it was Where's this good. fall on your list of faves or rankings? I, I don't know. I have to, we actually ranked every episode when we did it. I don't remember what I said. Three was my okay. favorite. This might've been like my, it could have been like my second or third favorite. I can't remember. I think it's definitely up there. I think we all gave it really high scores. I remember. Yeah. I don't think anybody didn't like it, unless maybe Tom, because you know, no, Tom. I, I liked it. It, <laughs> it was. It, this is tied for my high. I'm actually looking at our grades from back then. This okay. is tied for my highest rated score, Jen. It is your. Um, hmm. It is your fourth highest rated. Whoa. Really? Wow. <laughs> tied for tied for fourth. Yeah, you you have Ew. three and five are your two. What happens in five? Your two favorites. Why did then I like episode that? two. Then this, and then oh no, uh, then episode two and eight. Wow. You might want to revise the screen. That's yet. bold. That's I don't bold. know. I have to re. I have to go over this whole thing again. Yeah, yeah I think our, if we rescored them, I think they'd be different. This yeah, it was yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Well, they're all in the moment. <laughs> the heat of the moment. <laughs> yeah, I have to go back and. Yeah. While well, we were literally watching them the night before, the same day, and then recording, so yeah, yeah. right, it wasn't yeah. a lot of time to mull over it. No, and it, it definitely ages different a year out. Graham, how how'd uh, yeah. how'd this episode sit with you a year later? 
So as my memory serves, it's probably my favorite episode. Um, at the time it came out, I was frustrated with it. I, what I would say about this this episode, the first 20, 25 minutes crawled, but it was obviously purposely done. It was very slow. All the plot lines moved very slowly. As a matter of fact, when I was rewatching it tonight, I actually dozed off and had to back up a few times in the first 25 minutes just because the, the dialogue was slow. Nothing was really happening. And then... Boom. It kicks in and it, the last 40 minutes are just like fast paced, lots of action, dramatic things happening, you know, people dying and things throwing around. It was wow. The the back half really kicked in. So it kind of reminded me how somebody would set up a show, right, where you've got eight episodes and the first three might be a little bit, you know, building, building, building and then... So to me, that's kind of what this show did in a nutshell. So it's slow to build, slow to build, slow to build. And then, holy cow, did it ever think probably, I guess, I'm trying to think back to the sequence of scenes, but it's probably with Matt, uh, you know, pointing out the the uh, the eyeless dude. And from that yeah. point on, the rest of the episode just kicked. Like it was like action, 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 all the way through. So, you know, so I was bored by 90... Uh, eating cold chicken. I was not enthralled by, I know, right? I know, that's pretty gripping. It uh, is the, gripping. The the sitting around the fireside chat was very entertaining and fun, uh, but man, did it, it ever change. The back half was just outstanding. So I would say, certainly of the four that I've watched, of my certainly my favorite four, and I know number eight will not encroach on that. Um, <laughs> but the... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by five, though, because of our colleague's uh, ranking of that in her first uh, time through. But um, uh, so it's been over a year. So if you guys have it, it's been over a year since I've watched them. I guess. Well, I guess January. I, I watched them a couple of times when they came out and then I've, par- I've parked it at, Gr- at Grendel's suggestion. So I'm just getting back in one week at a time now. Slowly. Slowly. Edging, if you will. Edging. Um, yeah, no, I I. When this first came out, it was my favorite. Um, but I think that's just because like something big and awesome and unexpected happened. And like the entire episode, at least with the Land Moraine and Nynaeve stuff, was things that we'd never seen in the books. And it was a part that I was really missing from Eye of the World, like what adventures they got up to uh, instead of just, you know, hanging out, having one camping scene going and uh, releasing the horses and basically meeting up with Perrin and Egwene. So it's like the in-between stuff on their adventure to Camelin in the books um, that I missed. And I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, when it first came out, for sure my f- top ep. And now I don't know. Uh, I don't know where it sits. <laughs> I still enjoy it a ton. Um, it still got me. Like the Illa stuff still makes me cry. <laughs> Um, I still feel things when Nynaeve unleashes and when she runs to land. Uh, so I think a year later, if an episode can make me feel stuff, it's probably indicative that it will remain pretty high in my rankings. And it's just an enjoyable, just an enjoyable episode for acting and direction and, um, and action and thrupling. Um, (laughs) so let's talk about the episode. We'll talk about the cold open first, and then we can move into, um, the, the plots, uh, any particular, 
preference where we start with Pilates? Do we want to get um, the tinkers over with first? Or <laughs> do we want to talk action first or save that to last? You, you guys all you guys know Grendel's know. personal love of the Perrin and Egwene timeline. So yeah. <laughs> let's get it over with then if you yeah. want to get it over with. Yeah, let's, let's go This CBA. wasn't that bad, we'll, though. I, I don't feel like yeah. this was that bad. No. No, and again, 100 times better than the books, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but Cold Open. So this is on the heels of the Nynaeve Cold Open. Uh, episode four opens in Gaelden. Uh, we get to see a man channeling for the first time, which was pretty cool. And on rewatch, it's very obvious that when Loghain channels, we see the white first, and then the black corruption <laughs> taint, just say it. Taint. <laughs> uh, come through after. So the king is running. Loghain, we get to see Channel, does some badass stuff. We get to see him hang out by a well, which is interesting. Um, and some really great dialogue back and forth between him and the king. What does a crown mean to the dragon reborn? We just get to, you know, really hear the perspective of a male channeler and be in his head. We see uh, Alusha Salid is named. So she's one of the voices that speaks to him. We does also she hear mean the something voice. to you? I mean, to me, it was just a black image that they had as a thing. Okay. Is she his... So rewatching it again... Right. Is she his sister? Because, right, he makes like, he says something about not believing in me. And then the other one comes on and it says, like, your sister. Like your yeah. sister. I was like, yes. oh, is she talking to the other one? Is your the other parents, one his sister? sister? Yeah. He'll betray you yeah. just like your parents, just like your sister. I mean, and then the other one comes in and says, just like your sister, almost like he's saying, like, maybe that was his dad or something. And he's like, whoa, wait, you, you betrayed him too. The, the only reason I don't think that is because later on, he talks about the fact that he hears he hears past dragons and the advice from right. them. So I assume no, that's true. those are the voices that he... That's who he's attaching those voices to. Yes. People who were previously the dragon. Okay. So, yeah, we just never heard of her. Like, she's not, at least, she's not in the companion. And I couldn't find anything her, uh, about her online except for the reference to episode four. So I don't know if she's maybe in Robert Jordan's notes as like a past dragon, female, like the female um, dragon, but no one knows. Just the only one that was named, which I thought was interesting because the male voice that also speaks is just <laughs> unnamed. <laughs> um, so they they chat. Um, we end, you know, there's a place for anyone at my side, even my enemies. The last dragon broke the world, but I plan to bind it. Um, and of course, this opens and we see him when he's in his power. But we know based on the ending of episode three uh, that he is look captured. Um, so that failed. Uh, so, yeah. Thoughts on this cold open? How's it make you feel? Um, impression, Jen? I like that line that you just said. It's like there's a place for everyone. Does he... What does he say exactly? There is a, a place, place for, for anyone at my side, even <laughs> my enemies. Yeah. It seems it's a very Jesus-y line. When he said it, I was like, oh, this sounds like it could come right out of mm -hmm. like the Bible, exactly like a Jesus. Well, he certainly had that Jesus thing. persona about him, right? He had the long hair, the beard, yeah. like the, if you look at the, tip, right. the typical the stereotype of yeah. a Jesus drawing, that would be him. Yeah. Right. The flowing robes. 
Yeah. 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 So, Tom, your thoughts on the on the old cold open? Yeah, I really liked it. It's it subverted my expectations back from when we originally watched it. You know, it wasn't what I expected. Um, within like the scene, the fact that he was uh, like that's a different Logan than the books, right? Uh, but I think it's a really good change. I think it's a really effective change. Um, and I really liked the his show of, of channeling and like even I guess untrained he kind of effortlessly does things that, that are very impressive to what you've seen so far the way that he blocks um, you know attacks and things of that nature you can kind of sense like his immense power just from that opening scene as well and I thought that was done very well and then again you mentioned before the um, how the taint the corruption sorry uh <laughs> Uh, how that looks on screen and um, you know I don't know if people who aren't looking for that like catch that necessarily on the first go but for those of us who are looking for it I think it's clearly done it's kind of a a, a good visual cue as to what's happening yeah Joe yeah there was something I caught a line I caught in this this time watching that I didn't notice before that's kind of like a setup for the cold open to episode 8 he says you know there's a lot so part of the reason that I have some issues with this episode is there's a lot of exposition in it yes and some of the exposition like contradicts things in the books which bothered me but he mentioned something really cool in the exposition in the beginning where he mentions um and I think it's in the cold open where he says the dragon set, you know, the last dragon set the world back thousands of years. Yep. And I thought that was really cool because that connects if people, I guess, who are watching it for, for, you know, haven't read the books. When we get to episode eight and we see that cold open of, you know, thousands of years prior and we see like you're in, you know, our our uh, guest co-host, Brendan, who's not who's not a book reader's favorite scene in the whole show, I think, is that just when it pans out, it's like some sort of like sci-fi paradise-looking yeah. world. So it kind of, that connects it. It's like, oh, this was what the world was like before the past dragon broke it. So is this, are we going to get to that point some sometime in this in the show, in the series? I mean, we know we're not gonna, but um, it'd be interesting. Yeah. Possibility is there. Um, Graham, how'd, how'd this cold open hit for you? Of the ones we've seen, I rank it number three of the four that we've watched. I liked it. It was interesting. Uh, a couple of comments on what people said. As a fantasy person, pretty easy to see the white is good, the black is bad. So you may not know that he's tainted or that he's he's been mangled until he starts hearing voices in his head. And the subtitles, by the way, in this were hilarious. Voices start whispering and then they, they actually give... Uh, what's the woman, the woman dragon name that the, the was on? Alusha. Alusha. They actually use Alusha in the subtitles and give her a name when they're doing it. I'm like, who the hell is Alusha? Oh, it's that it's that little black face that's living in, in there. Uh, and it also introduces us to the king. And even on my first rewatch um, late last week, I didn't pick up that the king was a king at that point. For some whatever reason, it kind of went past me, and then he reappears in this in the show later on. Uh, but he was a pretty weak king, so. You know, uh, not a very strong one, even when you first meet him. But uh, I liked it because it showed his power, it showed his majesty, and it showed a certain leadership about him, right? So that line that you said you liked so much, it was, 
everybody's welcome on my team, even if you you know stand against me basically at some point, I will welcome you on my team and then you'll you'll fight for me. That is a great overall leadership type thing. So whether Logan's crazy or not, he is a natural leader and drawing a lot of people to him. So I think it's ironic actually that he's done that, he's a little bit crazy, yet they use a Jesus imagery when they're going through and, and portraying this because hey, if I'm a, a strict Christian, I would probably find that pretty offensive to be quite honest, but uh, I'm not, so I'm, I was fine with it, but it's it's an interesting play on visuals and style and everything else that's going on, knowing that this this guy is not all together in the marbles, right? So just my first thoughts on him, because yeah, I remember watching it the first time. I was quite frustrated. I don't remember Logan having a big part in the book, right? It was like he was sort of there, but in the background, and then this was really front and center, but it showed us showed us a lot of power, showed us channeling, and uh, I guess what was capable of being done. Because he was basically taking on this castle by himself, right, when he was coming through mm-hmm. and doing all this stuff. So that, that part was pretty impressive. And as usual, the cinematography was spectacular. There was above shots of the of the things running yes. through and coming through. Like, there was lots of really cool stuff about it, but it just didn't excite me like, you know, last week's or the White Cloaks, the ones we've seen so far. So. Yeah, and I think this was wasn't this a different? So this was filmed separately, right? This was filmed in Spain. And I don't yeah. even know if the like Wayne Yip directed the episode. I'm not even sure he was there for these scenes. Oh, that's cool. Do we? Re- do um, I have to go back. He? And look. I'm trying to I remember. remember. I don't remember. Um, yeah, I'd have I, to ask like Erie <laughs> to see yeah. Erie if uh, if he was there because I know i can't remember if he flew to like meet up with logan or elvero morte and a couple others um in because it was when they were on a break right when they were doing yeah get get brian the gleeman to check his autographed copy of the uh of the script for episode four and then you'll be able to tell he brought that out last week he's like oh my god i mean i mean i'm not even in this oh, world but didn't. that was a jaw-dropping nerd moment that was awesome he did not show that to us when we actually just, just talked to them recently it was like <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Yip signed um, script for episode four. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good awesome. question. If you ever interview Wayne, Mr. Yeah. Yip, if you're fancy. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. I don't know where this falls for me in terms of cold open, just because, I mean, I love it for, I love it as a fan of the TV show and I love mm-hmm. it as a fan of the books. Um, and just to remind, like, we can, a year later, after season one dropped, we're fine to talk about Eye of the World comparisons, uh, but we're keeping spoilers basically just to book one, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for saying that, because I would have just been flying out with spoilers. <laughs> and uh, and obviously, um, full discussion now that we've seen all eight episodes. Uh, so yeah, in I mean, in Eye of the World, we get rumblings about what's happening to the South and in Gaelden. There's a couple references, like we've seen in the show in the first three episodes. Mm-hmm. Like in the first episode, you know, you hear discussion about what's happening and people going off to war and all of this stuff. And this was, it really tickled like that part of my brain that was always curious about. Logain as the false dragon recruiting people to his cause um, like what makes someone fall in line what makes someone like come and be a dragon sworn and follow uh, follow the leader 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 um, 
And this was like, this was really cool for that. <laughs> like going to explore Galden, um, seeing Alvaro with the shorter hair. So we know that some time has passed since this moment. Of course, later on in the episode, we hear that he was actually planning on to march on the White Tower. So that's what he was gathering troops for. Um, and seeing kind of what you touched on, Graham, how he is as a leader. It was, yeah, it was nice. So I, I enjoyed that for a number of reasons. Um, but did it pack the punch that like Eamon Valda eating the bird did for me? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't as like Nynaeve killing the Trolloc. That was pretty intense. Right? Yeah. That was really yeah. good. So it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I love, I love watching it back and I love listening to the dialogue. Um, it's a slower, it's a slower burn. It's like one that I really like to visit, but if I'm just watching them back, like all the cold opens back to back, this doesn't hit as number one for me. Um, I don't think there's any question about what the number one cold open is. I think it's pretty universal, (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's the fight for number two. Yeah. (laughs) White cloaks. I know you love that one. I do. You're going to, like... I will say we'll get to episode eight eventually, but episode eight's cold open is um, I, I like that one's pretty high up for me. It's probably the best thing about that episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cold open, burned clothes, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's get into the episode. Um, so from the cold open, we go to the credits, yada, yada. We're going to talk about Perrin and Egwene. Um, the first thing we get is them packing up the caravan. They're like, do we go? Do we not go? We get Aram at his absolute best, just tossing out a little bit of sarcasm, serving up looks. Um, he, you know, basically being like, where the fuck else are you going to go? We're heading exactly where you need to go. And you are terrible bandits. If yeah, that's what you're trying that was a very to funny do. Line, yeah. <laughs> um, no food, yeah. no money. <laughs> like yeah. wearing scraps. I mean, good luck to you if that's where you want to go or you can, you know, tag along. Um, some really great uh, conversation between Illa and Perrin. Um, Illa immediately identifying Perrin's connection with the axe based on his very visceral tightening when she mentions it as a weapon. Um, you know, has has your life been better or worse since you picked that up? Just let that linger for a second, wife killer. Um, and, uh, you know, we get some dancing, which was great. I mean, it's not um, Taganza. Is that Tinker's? Or Cesara. Yeah. Cesara is Saldeans. So it's not we didn't it's not quite the Taganza. No. But it was fun and it was cute. Uh, and Egwene and Aram were dancing and happy. Uh, really great conversation between Illa and Perrin about um, violence itself and a revenge is a be- a dish best served cold, I guess, or not at all. <laughs> Yeah, um, seems like not at all. <laughs> and uh, a really nice exploration don't, into... Don't feed someone. <laughs> don't feed someone you want to get revenge against. Why are you giving them food? What's the best way to fight evil but with kindness? What's the best way? I thought that was a great... That, that That's your Illa thing. That's, yeah. That was a fabulous couple minutes of dialogue. Not one that 
caused me to doze off. That one, I that one I was enraptured with uh, yeah. was very good. It's a compelling argument. Right? It's really nice and <laughs> like, like a really. If everyone stopped being violent, then the world would be a better place. And you know what? You're, you're right. Can't argue with that. Imagine <laughs> all the people living like yeah. anyway. Some guy. I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really, really nice argument just about pacifism or for in favor of pacifism, uh, and Maria Doyle Kennedy knocks it out of the park. Um, Aram, we get an interesting scene between Aram and Egwene where he's like, who is he? The man who holds your heart. And then, you know, she then they talk about the... too, though. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. And then they talk about the rumspringer. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of it for Perrin and Egwene. Just continuing on their adventures uh, and some really nice insight into the Tuatha'an as a people. Uh, so knowing what we do of the Tuathan in the books and um, how you may have thought about them, especially in these scenes in Eye of the World, uh, Tom, how did how did the Perrin and Egwene stuff treat you on rewatch? Um, I'd say, I guess, I don't know. I don't have the, the visceral reaction that some people may have to the storyline. Um, it's, I think they're... I think they have they're just they're in just enough of this episode. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, I haven't gotten over the 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 the, the parent storyline option with him killing his wife and child and wife yeah, and child. Uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> well, but like the um, I didn't watch everything. I just you know just this episode, so it was kind of. I couldn't get past it when we were doing the original watch. I was just like, uh, I, I, I had a thing where we were doing our episodes. I'm like, yeah, he's a murderer. And they're like, no, it's an accident. I'm like, yeah, it was an accident. And then he lied to everybody about it. And that makes it murder. Yeah, I forgot about right? um, That is and, the legal definition of murder, if you were wondering. Well, I'm just saying, like, there's a difference between, like, a terrible accident is going, oh, my God, I made a terrible accident. I've had a terrible accident. My wife is dead, and then letting everyone think somebody else killed her, like that's not well, that an accident ex- anymore. Exactly, like let some some innocent person take the no, fall for monsters, it. but still. Oh, you know. sorry. What's what's the uh, guy's name? What's the Trolloc's name here? Narg. 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 Narg, Narg yeah. Narg. So, that wasn't Narg though. Narg yeah. took the fall. Narg was the other. Narg was busy at the. They're all, they're all the same. The um. So, but <laughs> like so. I guess How dare not on this podcast, it, sir. <laughs> they, they, um, Even Trollocs they, have hearts. <laughs> true. Um, I was going back now. Is this in the episode? But the episode in the cold open where when like the the one Trollocs got his arm on the other guy's shoulder, and you think he's like, "Oh, you all right, Ben? He'll be okay." Then he, then he rips his guts out. Yeah, awesome, awesome that's, stuff. That's the that's, one that that's the one that Brian wanted to be Narg. <laughs> and you're oh saying God. like if we retconned it and it was just like narg smart but I guess uh, the point that I was think I was going to be was like it was odd to kind of see this stuff out of that context of my constant dislike of the storyline mm-hmm. um, and like getting to just kind of watch Perrin and Nilla have have that scene. And she Marie Doyle Kennedy is so good, um, but seeing his reactions—that's what I was kind of like paying attention to more. I think upon rewatch, 
Like, not necessarily her acting, but his reacting to it and whatnot. Uh, I liked it. I have to say, it was, it, it was, it hit better in isolation. She never answered his question, right? She He asks, why do you do it, right? Because he says, oh, for your grandchildren, whatever. Like, why do you do it? And she's going to answer, and then she tells the story, right, about her daughter. Yeah, but that's how she, she answered it, right? I'm not doing it for you. Yeah. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for, like, 55 generations when the wheel spits out my daughter's soul again so the world will be it's a better It's basically place. for her daughter eventually. For the next right. turning of the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that her, her daughter the next time has... Um, the wheel will turn out my daughter's soul again. I do what I can to forge a better world for her so she can enjoy the life she should have had with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ugh. Yep. Cry. So good. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I think when when she was originally cast and we didn't know who she was playing, I think everyone was kind of like, oh, she's playing Varen, she's playing Elida, all these different people. And when we heard who she was playing, I think we were like a little bit taken aback. She's a pretty big actress. But then you watch this scene and you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Like they had to get somebody to kill this part. Mm-hmm. She killed so. it. She killed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe, your thoughts on, on Tinkertown? Um, it was it was palatable. I will say that. It moved. It, did, it didn't. It didn't linger. I think Tom said it best when he said they spent the right amount of time on it. Like they didn't overdo it. We didn't spend too much time with them. I, I like the... I like getting like the Aram character established and damn them for making me like Aram. Right? Okay. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I, I liked him a lot better in this episode, by the way. Like I found him really smarmy in episode three, but I liked him in this one. But you mm-hmm. seem to just seem to have a lot more heart about him and, and wisdom. Worldliness. Yeah. He was good. And you get the you get the impression that he's not buying into all of the Tinker talk. Tinker talk. So <laughs> so that's a little that's a little foreshadowing, I think. Um as to his path. So I, I found him, yeah, I found him dislikably likable. <laughs> yeah, I think the smarminess in, in, in the prior episode lines up more to how he is in the first book, where you're just, I don't know, like, like where you're just like, I don't remember it up. in the book at all. I don't, I don't He's only in a couple of chapters. Oh, but Perrin I, just, I just hates punch him. him in the, the face. Perrin hates him and you hate him too because you're like, he's all up in Egwene's business. Uh, okay. And, Does he give Egwene a necklace? Smarmy. Uh, he might. I thought I he. Remember. I thought he left her like with a parting gift or something, but I don't remember. A little but pearl pearl much... necklace. Was that hey, now easy, easy now. <laughs> it's a family show. No, 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 no. <laughs> he couldn't leave her with a parting gift on the show because he was unconscious <laughs> yes. at the time. <laughs> um, but I did like. I think Tom, you might have mentioned it, or or delusions, you might have mentioned it. Um, when <laughs> when uh, Illa and Maria Doyle Kennedy's going through like the different weapons. And she stopped, you know, the last one she mentions is Axe, and he's kind of like, they show Perrin, and he's like, uh, and then they, like, flash over to Egwene, and Egwene's like, you can see, like, the empathy in Egwene's look, and it's funny because they're both reacting to two different things, right? He's reacting to him murdering his wife, and she thinks he's reacting to just, like, the general death of his wife and what happened in Emmonsfield, or Two Rivers on the TV show. So I, I, I like that kind of contrast, um of the two, their reactions reacting the same way, but for different reasons and not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I mean, Egwene was pretty quiet in this episode. There wasn't a lot of time with her. Um, 
so that that one reaction we kind of got like that reaction there the reaction while she's dancing and she realizes that Perrin's kind of walked away she's clearly concerned about how he's doing and how he's holding up and he's on the, in the back of her mind pretty constantly which i thought was a lot better than how it came across in episode three like mm. the quiet looks and and their relationship translated a lot better for me in episode four um but jen how do you how did you find good old peg wayne in this <laughs> i forgot about that i was actually <laughs> i was looking to see if there was any kind of like jealousy on his face when she was dancing yeah. with aram and i didn't see like anything I agree with you 100 percent. i was doing like, the same thing right <sighs> watching I was like, there's, he's, he was like happy to see her dancing and then he walked away, just wandered away. But I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like at that moment, like if that was going to be a story, it should have been in there. But again, it could have been something that was shoehorned in at the last minute. Um, mm. But anyway, I like I liked it too. Um, I think it's good laying a, a good baseline for parents' character going forward, having that converse, that great conversation. And, um, yeah, I was again reiterating just enough. It was it was uh, it was my least favorite storyline, but that's not really a bad thing because the other two were really, really good. Bad. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad to be the third best storyline yeah. in the episode. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, how well, how did this one hit you on the heels of episode three? Well, I, I've got to agree with what they said. It was just about the right amount. Um, the the scene with Illa. And talking with Perrin what is a highlight. It, it was a great sequence. It was explained a lot about their faith in the wheel to me, and it introduced a whole bunch and to the whole. You know, if you think about the world of um, uh, rebirth and and you know perpetual soul thing, like where the wheel of time actually goes and belongs. I I haven't read that deeply. I never really thought about that so much. I've heard them use it to, you know, spit out a soul again or return the soul or something, whatever the phrase they they like. But um, it it highlighted a lot of that from my perspective because I don't have a lot of lore. So I got picked up a lot of that stuff. But as far as moving the needle on Egwene and Perrin, a little bit enough. But yeah, no big finish there, so I'm fine, and we can move on from them. Like I, it was, it was good, it was enjoyable, it wasn't outstanding. Anyway, good enough, and uh, probably better than episode three in their interaction, and didn't linger, so it was great. Put it, put the episode more on the other two plot lines, which uh, are way more interesting at this time, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't think it's a secret that Perrin is my least favorite character in this series, book Perrin. Um, Marcus Rutherford, when he was cast, gave me a lot of hope that I would actually like show Perrin. And this ep- episode in particular emphasized um, why I still believe that might be the case. I never thought that I would enjoy the Tuatha on as an arc. <laughs> And this episode, like, I just, I really loved it. Like, every time, there was no part where Perrin and Egwene felt a little bit slow or draggy, like it did in episode three, where they're like, the wolves are coming. And, like, way off in the distance, you hear a slight, like, a woo? (laughs) (laughs) And... This one was just like, it was exposition, but I thought it was like really flawlessly done. And it made a lot of sense 
as to why someone would choose the way of the leaf. Um, I really love that they showed like just the small glimpses, how much you were able to pick up um, from very minimal conversation, like looking around the campfire and parents like, yo, that girl looks like super fucked up and pretty violent because she's missing an eye. And mm. Ella is just like, yeah, like a lot of our people, you know, are, are those who have seen great violence and see the evil that it does. And then they find the, the way of the leaf, which was just nice to know, at least in terms of story arc, that even if you make mistakes, we're going to circle it back to Hannah Montana. Um, because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. Everybody, everybody. Um, and you can come back to the way of the leaf, even if you, you know, fuck it up a little bit. Uh, I just want to point out that Hannah Montana was not a regularly played artist in our household, but that's okay. She absolutely was. <laughs> that, that was. That was after the time you got me my CD player in mm. my room. Mm. <laughs> where my choice of music no longer impacted you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was every, every part about this, like Perrin um, and Egwene, their looks, um, their interaction, the very minimal dialogue between the two of them, that hit hard for me. Perrin finding solace in fixing a wagon wheel when he clearly has a lot on his mind, that like ticked all the the book boxes for me um having illa talk about her daughter and you know clarifying aram's mom i'm grandma uh and raising him the interaction between aram and illa especially rain wasn't <laughs> rain really didn't do too much at all in this episode and that was fine <laughs> he played some drums i think yeah. right yeah he was serving up the music <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about the song, which I really like that they're, you know, at least looping it into into the story a little bit and having Aram just be like, you know, the song is for old fools and children. It's basically like the song is Santa. It's it provides comfort, but that's about it. And like, it's not really going to solve the world's problems. So I liked whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. The song doesn't give you presents. <laughs> doesn't go around the world dropping into different chimneys and bringing joy to all these different kids around the world. I'm with you, Joe. Like, come on. And and the song is not real. Excuse Right? <laughs> oh, right. No spoilers. Sorry. Spoiler-free podcast. Santa's real, right? That's uh... Yes. Leave a glass We're of scotch out, out right for now. Santa. <laughs> Be clear for everybody. Okay, let's talk about Grinch Santa, because that's what the song... That's who believes in it. You know, the, the <laughs> Fahu Dore, welcome Christmas, Christmas Day. It's not about the presents, Joe. Maybe you should read How the Grinch Stole Christmas again. I like that. I like that show. <laughs> read, Joe. She said read. Oh, it's a book? Oh, my God. Okay, so little aside, our family tradition, kidding. and I don't even know how it started, is I actually, we have several copies of the book. Every Everybody's household has one. I read it to the offspring and the offspring's offspring every Christmas Eve, just before I have a little glass of scotch to top off the night. Although, now that the first generation or second generation is a bit older, we probably enjoy a scotch while I read the, the uh, <laughs> the Grinch, but we read the Doctor Who, the Doctor Z 
Zeus version, not the Doctor Who version. That would be weird. The Doctor Zeus version <laughs> of the Grinch every Christmas Eve before <laughs> toddling off. Yes, we're cool. we're all well into our thirties, and we gather around the FaceTime <laughs> with the crackling fire. Well, this and year we can be actually do it in person. Crazy, Aww. and then leave Aww. leave a little scotch out for Santa Claus. Yeah. Santa loves his scotch. Yeah, Santa. Single malt. Santa has a busy night ahead of him, so like, if everyone could please, like, don't forget about the bourbon, don't forget about the scotch, like, <laughs> help Santa get through it because there's there's a lot of chimneys to poke his way down. <laughs> How many glasses of scotch does that add up? To? You know what? It's wow. probably a little bit Cookies easier on the stomach. Than all that lactose. <laughs> Milk. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, I think you're right about that. 100 million glasses Yum. of milk. <laughs> just a sip. Just a sip. Go watch the cookies. Uh, um, so, yeah. Basically, Perrin and Egwene really, really hit for me. I don't know where I'd put the storyline in terms of the episode. Like, Tom's, uh, you said, I think it's the perfect amount for this episode. There was no point where there, like I felt in episode three where I was like, they're just dragging this on. I was like, no, everything is crisp. It moved quickly. They ended it at a good point so that the last, you know, 15 minutes of the episode was all action, uh, which I appreciated. So just mm -hmm. the pacing in this episode is probably the strongest of the season for me. And right. yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Perrin. Wow. That's Take big. that as a wow. voice clip. Lick that in your ears. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, if you take that out of context, that means something very different. <laughs> I enjoyed Perrin. <laughs> uh, and from Perrin and Egwene, let's talk about Matt and Rand and Tom. Um, so these guys, we catch them galloping through the woods. We don't need to know how or why they go they got horses they just have them and that makes sense tom stole and them they actually make reference to that yeah yeah matt makes a comment about him being a horse thief or something or terrible horse thief because he uh he stole the horse that's i don't know acting up and he thinks it's Tom's that's fault. right that's right yes yeah. so we do get that a little bit after uh, later we um but when we first see them they're on horses we get a cute little moment between um, Matt and Rand, where Rand's the one who's like iffy on Tom, and he's like, "Well, how do we know that he didn't just off Dana to be like, I, I'm not a dark friend." Meanwhile, leading them astray, and Matt is, you know, Dagger Matt is like, "Huh, really good point." <laughs> um, but let's talk about what Dana said because she said one of the five of us could be the dragon, and they all think Nynaeve's dead. Um, so they have, yeah, that little interplay. The next time we see them, they're like getting held up at arrow point by master Grinwell, uh, you know, casual little eyebrow raise to go muck out some stables, a little bit of cuddling between Matt and Rand. I would have preferred more, <laughs> but we got the, a the little big lean, the big lean. Well, you know, Rand wakes up and has that pillow talk with him. I thought that was, that was hilarious. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Like, what, I got, I got you, boo. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. If you want to talk, if you want to talk, I'm here. I'm here. No matter what. Got you. After he clearly said in the previous episode that he could do better than that. Right. I don't think yeah. there was a tie-in. <laughs> Different writers, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know what? Everyone compromises at some point. 
And it's okay to settle every now and then. Yeah. Especially on a lonely, cold road. In a haystack. In a haystack. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and then we get a little bit of a Baelzemon dream where... All three of the boys are there and they don't seem to really recognize, like only Rand can see the other two. So I like there, I have so many questions about it. Like, is it only Rand's dream? Are they also, are Matt and Perrin and Egwene also having similar dreams where they're doing that and they can see the other ones? I don't know. It was just curious to me. Uh, then we get, you know, Egwene yelling Rand, little muffling by Ember Eyes. Rand wakes up. Matt's not there. Um, sorry, this is also on the heels of, of Tom's epic discussion about his nephew, Owen, which we will talk about in more detail when we dig into it. Uh, they go into the Grinwall household. Matt's there. People are dead. There's a moment of slight panic. Matt's holding a very clean dagger that is bloodless, pointing up at the rafters. Uh, <laughs> and then you get the fade a little... Tom fade action running out. They a uh, Matt and parent or Matt and Rand run away on horses. Birgitta the doll is dropped, and that's what we get. That's it. Poor so what, the fate Helga of Birgitta, was... unsure. Helga dead as fuck. That is <sighs> that is one dead child. <laughs> yeah, gratuitous <laughs> child killing just to bring the reality to this, you know, the seriousness of the tragedy to the forefront for all the viewers to see. But. She gave away the person that protected her while she sleeps. That was Brigida. That was her job. And she gave her away and then she died. Well, should have <laughs> held on to Brigida. Lesson <laughs> learned. Oh, Matt no. didn't take Brigida, though, did he? I thought he, had, I thought he told her to keep... He did, but then he dropped it on the way. I think yeah. he took it and then dropped it on the uh, way out. Yeah, he, must have he took it on he his... took it as a gift. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Jen, how did you? Uh, how did Matt and Rand treat you this episode? I like them in this. I like how Matt's kind of. I don't know. I feel like he's still going back and forth. Like he still seems like kind of normalish in the beginning, and uh, still trying to cling to his own personality, and then he throws up some kind of black goo that sucks back into his mouth. That's very scary. Um, but I liked him. I liked getting the whole Owen story and Tom's just totally off the mark thinking it's Matt that could channel. But yeah, that, I, I definitely enjoyed the story. I love Matt. Matt's my favorite. So um, these two episodes with him, I think, were my favorite Matt episodes. I think, you know, the, the humor and uh, just kind of digging into the dagger thing. I really liked yeah. these. Tom, did yeah, uh, um, did Matt and Mashadar tickle your fancy? Uh, it did. I I I remember thinking like, oh, that's that's kind of an interesting, a good choice maybe for people who, like you know, who don't know the books. You're like giving a visual cue again. Like, oh, remember that stuff that you saw? Like that yeah. everyone ran away from in terror. It's inside him. Um, <laughs> and then is um, it in you? The fake the fake out, you know. Like totally got me because like the show had taken had taken some I think like darker turns on things already, or of course when I'm like oh my gosh they're just making him like murder a family, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, okay no it wasn't him okay good but um yeah the thing that I was one of the things I was looking forward to in this episode was to rewatch the the Tom you know telling the story of, of Owen 
and that really held up strong. Like, oh my gosh, I I was like, he's only in a couple couple episodes, but uh, man, he makes a very very strong impression. He's gone now. He's out. That's it for season one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He goes out like a champ when he's talking about um, like with Owen, and he says, "Men, women, both. Once they have the power." If they're cut off from it, it's no life anymore. They just slip away. And knowing how the season ends with Moraine yes. and this, like, that line now on rewatch, I was like, are you kidding me? That is oh, so, wow. like, well done, writers. You can... Oh, t- e- e- even how the episode ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. You get, you get immediate payoff by the end of the episode, so... Yeah, it's so. I have a question. I, I feel like this. I don't know if this was a question I asked when we first covered this episode, but right with the encounter with Master Grinwell, like he's got an arrow pointed at him. He's got his wife and his kid pointing arrows with him, and then Rand just you know says a couple of words, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, you can come muck out the barn and stay there." Is this is this a little severe in this happening? Is that what we're seeing here? Is that what we're witnessing, or is he? unconsciously channeling maybe what do we do we know i mean what's going on i hope he's not just casually using compulsion out and about in his daily life (laughs) like i hope well you can relate to that more than anybody (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I thought it was tavirinus too and i also thought that during the in one of the scenes with the tinkers when aram says something like oh we usually don't even come this way but you know, because of the armies, we we came. We usually don't come this far south or something. Four Tavirin. You know, that's Egwene and Perrin. Or five Tavirin. Whatever. How many did yeah. Maureen say in the beginning? Five? Four? Four. 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 Okay. Four. So Egwene and Perrin, both Tavirin. Yeah, I guess there were no rumors about yeah, Nynaeve, but there were rumors of other Tavirin. <laughs> four of them. Who knows? I don't know. I still got questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt has the question, right? Who's the fifth? And I then, yeah. right, so who is the fifth, right? Because then they cut to Loghain. Yes. Because, so was Loghain the fifth? Well, because we, like, of course, no. it's naive, and the episode answers that with, like, like a raging sun. Uh, uh, don't, don't get me yeah. started at that part. We'll get to that part. I have words, I have words but, for that. Uh, but, of course, Matt Weird. thinks Nynaeve is dead because she got dragged off by the Trolloc. So he's not even clued in that she could be the fifth. But, but she says she's the fifth that could be the dragon mm-hmm. not does she has that mean she has to be also Tavirin? um i don't because i don't know if she has to be know. but i think well if she's going to be the dragon she has to be Tavirin, right i think that's well right. you're saying words what the heck is Tavirin? i i oh, you, oh, oh right we have only say it one, one time on it was show. mentioned in the first episode and then never talked that? about ever again in the season <laughs> You don't remember that? <laughs> no. It's, it's, no. It's a concept that's ex- explained <laughs> explained much more in much more detail in, in the books. I think right. Loyal explains it right when Loyal was talking about. There's no detail on the show yeah. at all. She just says there's there's rumors of four That's it. Yeah. Never mentioned again in the entire season, which is a problem. Ooh, four Tavirin, let's go. <laughs> like, what does it even yeah, mean? It's, it's right. So it's a concept in the books. It's explained as like these are people who are a focal point of the pattern that oh, for okay. some period of time, maybe a long the pattern time, maybe shapes itself around them. Yeah, maybe a short time. The pattern shapes itself around them, and um, the fact that there are more than one, and they're all like from the same place is very very 
very unusual. And and the dark friends are dreaming. So the, the um, Dana uh, said that in the previous episode too. I dream about you. Um, right. So yeah. they they the dark friends are able to uh, see these five, but you don't know who they are. And of course, like you said, everybody thinks that Nynaeve is dead, or at least these guys think that Nynaeve is dead. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I am but they curious. Use, they use the term dragon for that instead of Taviran, so... Yeah. Writing... <laughs> and they say four Taviran, but then there's five that could be the dragon. Yeah, I don't know. Because, it's right. very... like, the way that they phrased it in the episode, and, like, the first episode, and I remember watching this, and we talked about it when we were going through our rewatch, but it's still, like, there's a couple things that through the season, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to reconcile, like, or resolve even in future <laughs> seasons. And one yes. of them is, there are rumors of four Taviran, the old blood runs deep. As if that somehow explains rumors of, like, 20-year-olds who villagers just think are to be... <laughs> like, they're not doing anything. <laughs> like, Rand's milking fucking goats. It's not a lot of Taviran going on there. And unless it's, like, the finest doing, goat milk. Right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Yeah, you're exactly right, Delusions. I don't. That's one of the problems I had with that. That line was just the worst line, and the fact that they never ever brought it up again in the entire season made it even worse because they had a they had a chance to kind of explain it more. And well, they just I think didn't. almost explaining what a Taviran is, like they're like, well, the line's already in the episode. If we explain it, it won't make any sense. Let's just leave it as is. Um, and hopefully, we explain floor. it. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the line should have been edited out, and that would have been, you know, been better. Yeah. But the, I, I think that, um, yeah, they, they have an opportunity to kind of explain it. They have an opportunity I, to explain it later, even though they, no, they really don't actually. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil. They do. There's more. There's more seasons, Tom. No, I, okay. It. So what I was thinking about, right, is something that is a spoiler for later books that I don't want to say. Oh, okay. But there, there's an opportunity to like say, "Oh, wait, you know, someone could notice it mm-hmm. explicitly." Except that would have already happened oh. and didn't. Yes. So there's That's no correct. opportunity I to do that, it. right? Um, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I'd yeah. be vague, but like that. I, I, like I also have that question at the end of this episode that we can vaguely refer to and leave Graham staring in confusion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Tom, um, Tom's Owen story, though, is great. He's really good. Tom was excellent. He's so charismatic. And, and way more so impactful in the show, frankly, than he was in the book. Like He was cool in the book and all that sort of stuff, but that uh, little knife fight with the, uh, the eyeless one was awesome. Mm. It was great. And it also showed, at least the way they did it, he was more than holding his own. And actually, you know, while he's fighting, he's able to open the door for Rand and Matt to escape and run out and close mm-hmm. the door and then get back to fighting. You also don't think that he's dead when they leave, unlike the book, right? In the book, you think, oh, God, he's dead. I know yeah. I haven't gone beyond that, but there was a big explosion. They could, you know, you think that something happened. It was really bad. And that's the last I've seen of Tom in the in the series. But it was one of my favorite mm-hmm. characters in the book. And yes, the 15 minutes of screen time between the two episodes, highlight. Right. Just, I love him. Great character. He sings like Tom Waits. He's uh, handy with a knife. <laughs> He's got great lore. Apparently explains that a Gleeman's actually like a wizard in terms of knowledge and stuff. But uh, it was, it was it, I loved it. It was great. I, I really enjoyed the, the way it was portrayed, the way it was written. You learn a lot in a short amount of time. 
I like how they explain why you, you then learn why he's helping them, right? Yes. Because that's the question in the beginning. Like, why is he helping us? Is he a dark friend? And then you learn, you know, the questions answered later on, which is nice that they wrap that up. Yes. I agree with all of that. It was great to see Tom in this episode and get a little bit more interaction between him and Rand because we didn't get any of that in episode three. It was about him and Matt and we see why. Did this work for you? I'm going to ask this um, first to the book readers and then to you, Graham. Did it work for you having Tom think that Matt was the Dragon Reborn? Did you like that change? Did the show do it well? Was it kind of an eye roll or did we buy in? It, so they're constantly doing that in the se- in the, in the season, right? They're constantly saying, ooh, this person might be the Dragon Reborn. And kind of every episode, I feel like they're pointing, even in this episode, they do it twice. <laughs> they yeah. make you think it's Matt, then they make you think it's Nynaeve. But like forgetting the whole, you know, timeline thing where you know it can't be Nynaeve because of her age. Um, but... Uh, this was like something we had talked about before the show came out, like the mystery of the Dragon Reborn. Is the show going to play that up or not? And it makes sense to do it for non-book readers, for sure. Um, but I don't know if I was satisfied the way they handled it. Um, I almost feel like they may be, you know, hindsight, that they should have just been more open about it. But I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked. So it's hard for me to it's hard for me to look back on that because I have that. I have a tainted uh, memory of this, so. Yeah. Jen, did it work for you with, uh, with Matt? Yeah, I think it was, I I think it was a good way to kind of throw people off a little and give Matt like some way for it to be him. I like the idea of him thinking that one of them could channel and that's why he helped them. Basically, that's why he bothered staying with them because he had this history with his nephew. So I did like that. He was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay with you guys. And then, half an hour later. For a little bit. separated, but... Uh, you know what's yeah. funny about this from a book reader perspective is they didn't put it in the show, the channeling sickness. At least we haven't seen... We didn't see no, it, right, they, in the first season. they definitely season. did yeah. not. But, but Tom says he's seen this before with his nephew because Matt's showing symptoms of channeling sickness. So it's clearly something that exists, but they just didn't put it in the show. Yeah. Like, it didn't happen. Oh, so maybe that's like, like a... He meant like the... Like the going yeah, mad. Yeah, I thought it was more the other part. Thing, oh, instead okay. of channeling sickness. I, I was yeah. thinking more of the channeling sickness. I mean, he like um, talks about the aversion like to like, animals yeah. being scared of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Tom, what'd you think? Yeah, I actually, I I mean, it didn't work in the fact that it didn't trick me, but like I thought that this was effective. And I think that, again, you see you see Logan in the beginning of the episode channel with the, and then like the black come it comes over the channeling and you see Matt and he's like puking up black stuff and you're like black black not good no bueno something's wrong here and so again for like the uninitiated I think it makes it a pretty strong there's a stronger connection there I think that this episode does the best job of any episode of giving you red herrings for that and I understand Joe's point we've talked about it a lot on our, our show back and forth uh, over this but um one of the best things that I think about reading the books, especially the way the books were coming out originally, was like this there's a ton of mysteries in there. And like there was a lot of fandom like trying to solve the mysteries, going it back and forth, right? Multiple websites were set up to like figure out all these theories and try and like figure out what was happening in the books and what was really going on, blah blah blah. And would the show try and duplicate that? And you can't just have the same mysteries as the books. 
because everyone knows those. And like uh, again, we our 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 guest co-host, our non-reader co-host, uh, was like, yeah, if you Google Randall Thor, the first thing that comes up is that Randall Thor is the Dragon Reborn. Whoa! Right? Uh, what happened? So, I just, uh... <laughs> so like it's not even, it's not that big of a surprise. I'm like, yeah, but like casual fans may not do that, right? Like, you're doing that as, like, you knew that already. Anyway, that's not a big deal. Like, um, so, I, I like this. I thought that that really worked, and I felt that it was a... It worked not only as a motivation for Tom, but as a, I think, as a good red herring for the audience. Yeah, I, um, especially on rewatch, I like it more when I'm looking at this through the lens of a TV show, um, in large part because in the book, it's just it's 90% Rand, right? So his perspective of Matt is just like, oh, something's, something's going on with Matt. Um, whereas like with Tom, I like that the show kind of asks us like if this were an outsider and someone who didn't know Rand and Matt and just saw this and like of the two of them, who is displaying the signs of a man who can channel? And it explains like the dagger sickness. It highlights, you know, something is up with Matt. Something is wrong with Matt. And it's not just us, the audience who's seeing it. It's his traveling companions. And how can we explain that? Um, and a great way to do that in an episode titled The Dragon Reborn is to say like, let me tell you what madness looks like and let me tell you about the impacts of a man channeling and so interesting again to a book reader that that's being sold to Rand who at this point strongly suspects that he can channel based on the door burst from the last episode which was like the mm -hmm. first time that we or at least we in the show go back and see like I don't think he channeled before that at least he doesn't remember it in the flashback that we get in episode seven mm -hmm. so that's the first time he channels so he's on the heels of that thinking like uh shit <laughs> something's mm -hmm. up with me but like so we get to see that now play out in Yosha Stradowski's eyes on rewatches and it just hit that much more impactfully this time around so hindsight and sorry with the benefit of a year out from the show I really I really like this change um, that they made where it's it's Tom and Matt's connection that brings Tom in and not his relationship to Rand that makes him stick around. It's also a great opportunity. This was one of the exposition dumps that I was very done very well, where it gave them an opportunity to talk about what it means to be a male channeler um, and what happens to male channelers and talk about the taint a little bit. And that's it's all over this. And episode, talk about the right? reds, we'll, like specifically, mm -hmm, always mm -hmm. the reds. And what it means to be the dragon. You get like a little bit of a taste of what it means to be the dragon reborn, and you, it's great because you get different sides of the story, right? Of of what it what the dragon reborn is, which is great because I think it's kind of adds a lot of mystery and intrigue to like what the character or what, what it means to be that. So I thought like Tom's story was a great way to explain a lot of information to give a lot of information in a very uh, delicious way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like even, even the line that he says, we call ourselves Gleeman because a silly name is less threatening. 
nothing is more dangerous than a man who knows the past. So he says that. The reason I actually like it, and I see you, Joe. The reason I, I threw my arms up at this. I was like, what? <laughs> the only reason I like that in this episode, in this context, is because we then get the exposition from Loghain saying, I hear the false dragons. Why else yeah. do we live past lives if not so they can inform us how we do better? So it's like mm-hmm. that line is just in this episode is representative, I think, of kind of every storyline to Perrin and Egwene to uh, Loghain. <laughs> I thought that was a somewhat silly line. But... Well, if only we could actually <laughs> learn from history and act on it accordingly, because apparently <laughs> we're not good at that, but that's a different issue. I, it almost made me feel like there's some sort of secret order of Gleeman that kind of control the world or something <laughs> like that, like the way he was saying that. I, I that's don't know. season two. <laughs> It was a little. It was a little much for me. <laughs> I mean, pretty heavy hitting for like a gleeman. Like, that's what we call ourselves. It's less to be scary. I was like, wait, what's going on here? What is? It's almost like, is this uh, like- if going to a Tolkien reference, which I know we're not supposed to do, but in where the Rangers were the uh, the the lost kings or the lost heritage of Numenor, uh, and of course mm-hmm. Aragorn being a ranger, but there's more of him, right? So there's more of these rangers. So it, it, that's what it drew out to me. It was like, okay, these gleemen are. Or like they're they're walking the earth looking for things that are weird and just trying to steer people in the right direction. So it did seem to me that's what I, actually I think that there are many gleemen out there and they are doing things to help humanity move it forward. They're serving the world just like the I said I, but in their own way, and they get to watch in people a while they sing. Way. Well, they get to <laughs> they do the entertainment part so they can watch people and then they learn and then they get integrated and people aren't threatened by them. So I, I get it. That's what I picked up from that, that little exchange. Uh, the other thing I picked up obviously is that there's something wrong with, wrong with Matt, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily until Tom told the Owen story, I didn't know that he actually thought Matt was channeling. I did think that he saw the, the, um, I did think that he he saw the craziness or the madness that was coming on Matt, and certainly recognized it with the animal. And then, of course, the throwing up of the what's that? What's that black goose? Mashadar. Mashadar, throwing Mashadar out of his mouth. And then, of course, we see the little Mashadar reference again when the fades in the room and uh, Matt's pointing him out. Um, so it, uh, it it that whole exchange to me showed the power of the Gleeman, which is something that was completely new to me, but I thought was kind of cool and intriguing and allows them to do things down the road with Tom or other Gleeman if you can't get him back. The power of the Gleeman. That's uh, season two, episode four title. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I was rewatching the, uh, the, the scene you were talking about with Matt standing there and then he's point, he's got the dagger pointing. I was totally, I was totally flashing to predator and Bill Dukes going, I see you. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a lot of Predator references. When when Nynaeve comes out of the pool and it looks like just, yes, the head, yes. just like the Predator coming out of the water when he's fighting Arnold, right? Just Yeah, yeah. Wayne Gibson um, must yeah, be a big Predator, like, Predator fan. I think we just discovered something. Yeah. <laughs> He did say, I see you, but he didn't say it like Bill Duke says it. So, um, But yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Tom, any thoughts on, on Matt and how he played the uh, the dagger, dagger Matt illness? Anything you were missing from him? Anything you wanted to see that the show didn't give? He just puked right on the Grinwell's property. It's rude. <laughs> 
They don't. They don't care. He just vomited them. right by their their trough. That's just so rude. That's great. <laughs> that's what I was it's, thinking it's, of. I was like, so I was thinking of like the, I was like the Mr. Grin, like the Grimwells are going to find that tomorrow and not be happy. <laughs> and yet, as it turns out, they won't. So it's okay. <laughs> no, everything worked out in the end. I guess <laughs> everybody's happy. At least he didn't throw up inside the stables. He went outside. Trough, that was nice yeah. of him. Right by the trough. Maybe the horses, I guess. Whatever. The pig is going to eat that tomorrow and just that's true. The pig will take care of it. If the pig eats it, there's no problem. Mashadar cannot overtake pig pig digestive system. Pig digestive system wins every time. No, there's no question. This is actually so. This actually explains how Animal Farm by George Orwell comes into being. It's Mashadar. Yeah, there you go. That's dark. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Just to your original question, no, there's the, actually, I, I really think they do a, a as good a job as, as I think they can in the time that they have getting what you need to get with Matt and the dagger in, the, in, the, in, in this. And I think that I don't know how that storyline plays out in subsequent, you know, seasons, but that's not the fault of this. Uh, I think they do a very good job. Not only in this episode, but I think over over these last you know three, four, and five of and six, I guess you know of just kind of showing you his progression. So yeah, no, I'm good with it. Yeah, Joe, any uh, any Matt thoughts, or are you content with with what they gave us? No, I like how they visualize um, you know the effects of the dagger on him for for you know the watch for people watching it with the you know. The, blackness around his mouth kind of going in and out of his mouth i thought that was really done well i like you know the horse right he's he's complaining about the horse that tom stole a bad horse but it's really it's really him um and then i like also the misdirection of making you think that he's somebody who can channel and then Rand thinking that too right because now tom's convinced so that's weird right because we we know after the fact that tom that Rand did channel already but he still kind of thinks that Matt is the like is the one channeling, which is I don't know about that. I don't know how to feel about that because because even in the next episode it comes up when they talk about like taking care of each other and yeah. they, mean, they both mean <laughs> they different, different things. things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I won't let I, that happen to you. I think yeah, Rand... I won't let that happen to you either. Don't worry. About it. Um, <laughs> I think Rand is looking for yes. any excuse to not think about what his father told him in the. Yeah, in the woods. So, so as, he, if the, oh, it's match. Of course, yeah. No, I'm totally normal and regular. So he should have been a little more like, happy. None with, of that matters, you know. I think we don't just, know this. Should have been a little time, more happy. Right? We we haven't no. seen. We, that we in the audience doesn't, but Rand Rand right. does. Right. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Rand yes, does. Yes. Yeah, I think I think I hit on that. I think that Rand is somebody who is trying to deny a lot of the signs that he's been personally given, you know, over the last few weeks or whatever. Uh, no, no, none of that. Yeah, let's go with this. This is Matt. Yeah, I'll take care of Matt. That's good. You know, I think I think that's where his mindset is at, like trying to not deal with what might actually be reality for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm here for suppressed success and uh, well done, Rand. 
here. Uh, so, Graham, before we move on um, to the climax of the episode, how did this work for you as someone who had read the first book, but you don't know a lot about Matt Cawthon as a character? How did his relationship with Tom work and um, the the dagger sickness? Were you picking up on that? Uh, your thoughts as we as we kind of leave the Rand and Matt storyline for a month when we pick up on episode five uh, with them riding off. Well, uh, I've, I've been watching Matt's progression. Like, and I, I think Tom, you mentioned it. The, the, you can see him getting in episode three, he got focused on negative things and everything was bad and they were doing stuff. And then in episode four, they, it's like, they said, okay, I don't think the audience is getting it, so we're going to hit them over the head. So we're going to have them puke up some of that Mashadar stuff. And not only once, <laughs> but the second time when he sees the vid, he's going to have it all over his face and doing stuff. So he's obviously possessed. I didn't think I needed that to know that he was going a little crazy. Just standing there and kind of doing this was giving me a thing that all of a sudden he can speak to the dark friends and he didn't need to show the Mashadar thing all over his face. But I understand why they did that. It leaves no sense of doubt that he was impacted by picking up the da- the dagger and all that sort of stuff. Um, in terms, you were asking about Barney Harris as an actor. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know much about Matt uh, other than the stuff that I kind of remember from the book and that great piece of artwork that you have on your, um, in your library at home which I asked you well before I started reading this, what that was about, and you kind of explained to me. Spoilers. Uh, future Matt. But it's <laughs> um, it, it, it's a very cool thing. But uh, the only thing I found is when uh, he was talking, he certainly did a lot of things. And if you watch the uh, uh, subtitles, he sniffs like every second line. Like, come on, Barney, get a little bit creative. You don't have to sniff all the time. I mean, come on. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. So, but other than that, I thought he was good. He, he is playing the crazy man, balanced man very well. Like he's on edge. He knows he's on edge. He can't stop himself from being on edge, but he's trying to be as normal as possible and hide it. So I think he actually, I'm getting that sense from him. So I think as an actor, he did a great job with that because playing slightly crazy is not easy. A slow take descent into madness. Yes. Um, all right. And with that, let's uh, let's talk about the main event, Moraine Nynaeve, the camp of the Aes Sedai. Uh, we get to see a little bit of the interaction. We open up on Nynaeve looking down into the camp. We get epic Red Aja, four of them standing in a line for no real reason other than they're staring <laughs> down land. <laughs> uh as one does. Um, we get Moraine getting healed by uh, Karene. We see a very visible scar that's left from that healing. Um, mm-hmm. Moraine kind of asking her, like, you've held off armies. And now, she, like, this, this is it for you? Like, healing this small wound has, like, tapped you out, which leads us into Loghain and Loghain's strength, how much the show like emphasized how strong he is, how it takes two sisters to hold him. Um, and they have to be the strongest sisters. So there's only three sisters in the uh, of all the seven that can actually sit down and hold him. Land's conversation with uh, Moraine afterwards speaks to that. Like, do you think he's as strong as Egwene? And Moraine mm. says, no which is interesting because they spend the episode hyping up how strong Loghain is. Um, 
some very cutting lines by Kate Fleetwood as Leandrin. Just, uh, Moraine, this was a plan after your own heart. <laughs> we crept into his camp and shielded him while he slept. Like, repeated, just digs at Moraine. Uh, a lot of a lot of more rain exploration through the lens of others, through Karene, through Stefan, through Alana, everyone having like their own relationship with Moraine, uh, us, the audience learning how private she is, how someone who she, who Moraine got to heal her can't even have a proper conversation with her because she wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> Some Nynaeve and Lan uh, interaction. She's not a companion. She's barely company. Um, the warder fire, seeing uh, Maxime and Ivan and Alana and how natural that threpple was. We have, uh, a, yeah, more more exposition about the battle, Aja, what it means to be a green, what they're prepping for. The end of the age is here, really hammering home to the audience that like things are shaking up and everyone in the world is a little bit nervous about what's going on. Um be- simply because Loghain's strength is unlike anything they've ever seen. A little bit more, about, like, slight touching on the warder bond, which obviously we go into in much more depth in episode five. Lan has a drink and suddenly Moraine is spilling, like, her innermost feels. <laughs> and the the battle scene um, after we get the Lan and Nynaeve moment where they both give each other something... Um, the the battle scene uh no army can get past seven full sisters moment between moraine and Logain. why should i believe that you're the dragon he says something interesting here that it took me a few watches to get just about how only when he channels does he hear the voices which will make me pose a question uh-huh after um so it's only when he's channeling that he hears the voices of the previous dragons before him uh then we have you will feel like a pinprick against the raging sun that is the dragon reborn (laughs) when Nynaeve does her epic heal it is like a raging sun Loghain whispers before the power (laughs) is ripped from him uh the linking moment between the sisters and then ending with um, Zoe Robbins staring into the camera like an absolute badass. <laughs> uh, so this, Joe, we're gonna finish. We're gonna finish with you on this one. Okay, I have to hold it in. <laughs> I've got a lot of things to say about this storyline. Actually, you know what? No, let's unleash. Go, Joe. <laughs> so this is. This is the storyline where the, love the, volume. Where the <laughs> exposition is done poorly, I think. Like you got in a the problem other with two storylines. <laughs> the other two storylines, they did really well. Like the Tinkers, Marie Doyle Kennedy did a great explanation. Even Aram did a great explanation of like the Tinkers and what they're about. And like I said, in uh Tom as well in, in that whole storyline. This one it was very clunky. It was First, a lot of it's contradictory to the books, which just bothers me. So I have so many, like, criticism and questions. I want to ask Rafe a thousand questions about some of these things. What are your top three cues that stand out? So did did Steppen cut through a shield on, a, a, like, a, a shield, a, a power shield? Like, that's not possible. I think Loghain channeled through it. But I was going to say, don't you think Loghain helped him? But, but he – but, but – 
Steppen's axes stop at the shield and then he goes through the cracks or like the, the parts that the axes go through and that's how he gets out of it. That's not possible. Um, I didn't like the way they showed linking. Um, and it wasn't so bad. So that you hate, wasn't you that hate bad, Power Rangers. But, Power Rangers. But then they did like a like at the end to like what? Like shoot more power or something? Like they did synchronized a synchronized swimming motion where they shot more power. <laughs> I didn't like that. Um, uh, let's see. Do I have anything else in my notes here? Um, oh, and of course, you know, the one I think that everybody has a problem with where Logan's reaction to naive channeling, which is a big problem for me as well. But could I don't, be, I don't could buy the explanation that Sarah Nakamura gave us. But could be explained <laughs> potentially by book knowledge later. I if guess. Nynaeve is Tavirin. Oh. Uh, Think about see, it, man. Then I have another problem. Now that's another problem I have then, delusions. <laughs> that's a whole other problem I have. Um, yeah. I don't, All those things kind of really bothered me. And the shielding, too. The process of the shielding, like, that wasn't so bad where she was like, when they were transferring the shield, it was more of like, let me place my shield on him. And then the, the conversation of, how it's harder to shield some hold a shield than it is to break a shield. That's not that's not anywhere true. It's not true at all. Even they say the weakest channelers when linking together can shield somebody super powerful without any problem. Um, so that also bothered me. So th those are my those are my problems. <laughs> those are your grievances. <laughs> those are my grievances. <laughs> We're gonna have a new segment called Joe's Woes. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'm not going to say my my other grievance because I think I beat that one to death. But Joe has the, a real uh, problem. Joe has a real problem the with the layout of the camp during the battle, and the distance feels the that cave to the camp. Uh, the cave is the cave is. and the camp. I watched it again. It just doesn't make any sense for him. They're far away from each other. And why are there no waters with the Aes Sedai while they're shielding Loghain, or even in the area? They have to go through um, Tai Chi with Lan. They're busy drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not during the day. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know if they were drinking during the day. But. Yeah, who's shielding Loghain? Oh, I guess Karene and Leandra yeah. and that one night when you see Maureen. And yeah. Yes. Everyone's going to bed. I assume they have to shield him overnight. He doesn't just sleep. And the and I'm sorry, Loghain's army. They said seven sisters can hold an army. That wasn't an army. Yeah, that was a pathetic excuse for an army. That was not a lot of men, and it was such a poorly orchestrated attack. Well, they're not. It's the rabble. It, yeah, they're rabble it's, now. They're they look like a peasant the rabble. Dude, not the like dude an leading army. them was a king. You think a king would know, know how to lead an army? It's when in the old yeah, days like that's what they well, would do. Well, the king was actually CGI'd into the scene afterwards. Oh, really? That's true. He was. <laughs> so he really wasn't part of that scene. He wasn't. He part shot of the his scene. scenes on a green screen <laughs> after the fact, and they put him into the. <laughs> but I think in, that yeah. was just more because of logistics. Like he was always intended to be there. You think? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I think he was. Yes, I think that that, that was. It was just like okay, that actor okay. was not available to be. On set yeah, on the mayhem. There's the a, mayhem the, oh, I thought they were like, oh. The actor yeah. posted on uh, Instagram, I think, some video clips of how they he shot in front of a green screen and then they put him into the scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Homemade too much of a. Screen. 
like a setup payoff right. for that to be I'm like done. Planned. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Y'all, y'all can talk. Uh, now. Okay, well, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about did Jen, the conversation between Alana and Moraine with respect to Jenny, who we now know is an Irish wolfhound. Did that work for you, or was that unpl- like uncomfy exposition? I don't know what the point was. I guess the point was to show that they're friends and they've known each other for a while. Is that that was and the like point? Alana and can story? keep a secret. I guess. And that she held, like, she knew that Moraine had this dog and she never told anyone. And she just, she can be yeah. trusted. She knows, she might but know Moraine's some other things. still won't <laughs> even just be like, yeah, I had a dog. Like, I, I do, I really like how they have Karenna and Step and have that conversation. Because up till that point, you're like, oh, she's just being guarded with these kids. She can't tell them anything. And then you find out. Nope, she talks to everybody like that. Like, literally, you can't like, even like she have dinner never with opens her. Up to anyone. One of my favorite lines right. in the Which episode is Lan, like, "Yeah, Lan and her dinners are like." Right, <laughs> yeah. Stefan says that, and she oh talks. I feel like she's more open in the in the show than she is in the books too. So <laughs> yes, like, she is. Um, but we also don't really see her with anybody other than them. That's true. In the book. That's true. We she, don't see her with any of the people that she's open with. We don't really. She has whispered get conversations. That. Even Moraine right? and Lan. Yeah, they do. Like alone, we don't. We don't, we don't see get it a lot of that from their right. perspective. We see like right. we hear them yeah. like the but one like Rand's perspective where they're the two of them are off talking. Right, yeah. they're communicating, but we don't know how or what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just... yeah. The Jenny story, I guess the Jenny story didn't bother me so much because I had so many other problems that were bigger. <laughs> so didn't you say at the beginning of this that this is your favorite episode of the show? <laughs> no, no. I said I, I. No, the third episode is my favorite. <laughs> I said the end scene is really good though. Even with all this, I that I get I got very still still, you know, choked up at that end scene. Even though it bothered me. <laughs> I st- <laughs> they still did a good job of it. And I can understand from a a a watcher's perspective who's never read the books, that was awesome. It was. By the way, yeah, as, as you're describing I'm going, I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that. Hey, I got to know Moraine a little bit more. That was cool. Ooh, big fireball. Nice. Like it was it was um, it was cool. I learned a lot about the Sedai and the, the, the sisterhood and uh, differences that there are sorry, I should say that there are differences between green, blue, and red. And that the red people seem to be the, are supposed to be the communicators and the ones that follow the rules. And the green people seem to be stronger, but I don't know anything else other than them. But they, they certainly seem to be a stronger one. And, and blues are the one that keeps secrets. That's kind of what I picked up from that exchange in conversations. <laughs> but, you know, but just the fact that each house reminded me of Harry Potter. Each house had its own, yeah. its own <laughs> characteristics. And that was the first time that you really got introduced to it in a detailed way but it just the the flow through to me was was pretty cool i didn't think about the warders not being with the is Sedai until shit started to hit the fan boy it took them a long time to get there to help the uh, the sisters when they're going through some pain yeah i would have thought that the warning would have come to them sooner if they're that close to each other so if one of the sisters is putting a lot of power into something i would have thought that the warder would have known immediately and stefan would have just taken off he would just stop what he was doing you guys got this and go and by the way with that rabble in the end it was the other green one i I can't remember her name but she's the one that was talking about jenny the dog right Um, who basically got rid of the rabble she's like i can do this i don't don't need you i'm just gonna blow you all up watch me that was awesome i mean the other three strong they said you know they're the top four strongest and she's 
the only one who was out yeah. there. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes sense that she would be blowing the most stuff. I don't know what, you know, the other ones were channeling too. Yeah. But. There was some like red sisters. We see her heal a red yeah. sister in the middle of battle, yeah. which was cool. But mm. yeah, the uh, Alana, basically her, Maxime and Ivan just yeah. <laughs> commanding the battlefield. I would have battle liked to see some more land, land fighting, like not like, yeah, just quick one-offs where he just like you know swings, kills someone, turns around, kills someone. a little bit more of like a, a you know dueling maybe that would have been nice to see. I guess if there was like yeah. anyone worthy enough to duel him, but like rabble. No. <laughs> yeah. You you did see a lot more about Land this episode too. His exchanges with Nynaeve were really good and uh, interesting. Of course, there's the pregnant pause and then rabble starts to approach just as she was as they were doing the exchange. So. You know, I learned so much more about you, Lan, in this days. And he, and he goes, that's okay. You were exactly what I thought you Wisdom were. Wisdom Almira. Which was? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which was? Oh, Rabble, got to go. We'll come back to that. Or will we? <laughs> but I, I just, I liked the actor so much in this episode that played Lan. I, I, I know the women all think he's outstanding or anybody of, that wants to watch a, a hot guy on TV is, is <laughs> think he's really good. But I, he, he had a, a presence he carried himself in a certain way. He was he was regal, which I didn't know until the last episode was for a reason. He had command, <laughs> and he seemed to have a respect of a lot of the other warders. Mm-hmm. So I just thought there was a whole bunch of subtle stuff in there that was was really well done, and details I didn't know, but I picked up a lot of how important Lan is to the greater world uh, kind of thing just through some of those exchanges this time. Yeah. I love how right after that scene is when the arrows start coming down, and... <laughs> He steps in front of yes. Nynaeve. Like, right after that. That's, like, the beginning of, like, the, t- the switch over where he starts to care about Nynaeve. Yeah, like, he should have been like, where's Moraine? She's not here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he knew where she was. Did he? But, yeah. Well, he knows. In right? Sh- Wasn't she? Oh, uh, well, he could feel where she he is. He knows the general direction of where yeah. she is, but he doesn't know he exactly where she is. He could feel she probably well, was She's not flustered. in the arrow <laughs> range. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, like, you know... Step right in front of her. I, know. I don't know. It's a little moment that I love. Waters were pretty slacking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, it's just stepping and land. I, it's just stepping and land. <laughs> Leander do doesn't have, a, have waters. I, Everybody else is where they're supposed and, to and, be by their eyes to die. Land. <laughs> that's very true. And lands. Like yes, I agree with Jen in the fact that there's. There's more to him stepping in front of Nynaeve than just this. But also, you know, Nynaeve that's, is a possible that's option. That's the end of the Eye of the World. What? <laughs> Isn't that the, eye, the end of Eye of the World, right? Doesn't right. he, like, pause? Well, that's and, different. That's different. Yes, that's completely different. Between but them. for here, yeah. like, yeah. his life and Moraine's life mean less than the dragon reborn getting to where they need to be. Right? Although he doesn't so, know that Nynaeve could be a potential at this point because Moraine, for some reason, doesn't know that Nynaeve can channel. Or at least we don't think that she knows that in I, the show. Oh, I thought they knew. Okay. She hasn't re- she hasn't revealed it for because, sure. Because like Moraine, yeah. when Nynaeve channels, she's like, huh. Oh, missed yeah. that. Missed, <laughs> missed that one. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Better now. I feel but, better. So I, I actually have a question for you guys because it was a really interesting scene when uh, Loghain is um, has broken free initially from Leandrin and Karina, Karina, and then Moraine enters the hall 
And she says, we can talk. But as she's entering, there's a real interesting play of shadows on the wall. So you don't know who's coming in and mm-hmm. it kind of changes shape a few times. And all of a sudden, it are, are those shapes important or was it just trying to hide who was walking in the thing? I, I, I played it back about three or four times to see if I could actually make out what those shapes were. I couldn't. So you've been spending too much Maybe time with Matt Hatch. <laughs> You're trying to unblur the shadow now. <laughs> mm. I think mm. it was just for, I guess, a, cinem- a cinematic kind of feel, right? To like be like, oh, who's Maybe. going? And who's so that? you don't know who's actually coming. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. I think I think that was all it was. Yeah. There was no dragon fang. So. No, yeah, <laughs> missed it. A lot of dragon fangs, though, but not no not whistling. Dragon. I didn't hear. I actually didn't no hear the whistling like this episode. No patenting no. this episode. No. 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 We didn't get a hint of a whistle. Um, Joe, anything you liked about uh, this storyline? <laughs> Big, small. Did you like the beer? I like the beer? Yeah, that the warders had. Around the campfire. Oh, what they were drinking beer? No, because the warders shouldn't be drinking that. They're, <laughs> they should be alert and ready to go. Like. One they beer can drink. One, one drink allowed. And they're compromising their Aes Sedai, too. <laughs> they're compromising. <laughs> Making them drunk. <laughs> yeah, they're compromising their Aes Sedai in multiple ways. Um, no, I liked I liked Alana a lot. I liked Priyanka was awesome. Hmm. Um, I made a note about her somewhere. Oh, her channeling gestures were amazing, right? When she's doing all, like, the gestures she's doing when she's fighting everybody. Oh, yeah. top-notch, Alana. Uh, Alana. Top-notch. <laughs> I love that very much. Um, I also like Moraine's conversation with Loghain. I like the the two of them uh, playing off each other. I thought it was really good with uh, Rosamond and Alvar Marte. Um, very good, the two of them. I hope we get to see more of that. Um, and I mean, I did like, I mean, I did like the the heel, the mass heel at the end. It was cool. I thought it was really cool. Um, but I didn't like that Loghain react the way Loghain reacted to it. I'm sorry. I know. And we um, we do have a bare bones explanation for why it happened the way it did, but on like in that episode we know that at least women can't see men's weaves. Um cuz Moraine says that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one can surmise that men can't see women's weaves. And the book consultant for the show Sarah Nakamura confirmed after the fact that men cannot see women's weaves. <laughs> so why did Loghain whisper like a raging sun? Because uh, it's all we could see was raging sun. Rafe no? about it was that? like the sh- no Sarah Rafe answered it. Yeah. I don't think Rafe ever. It was basically it. like it, no, but the uh, shrapnel and the wind exploding everywhere yeah. was yeah, enough yeah, yeah, to convey yeah, the like power that. of yeah. what was yeah. happening. Okay, sure. It sure looked like I mean, he was, especially when he you know shielded his eyes. I know yeah. yeah he could be shielding his <laughs> eyes, but it was they needed they needed to do a better job of conveying that visually. I don't know that. That bothered me. <laughs> so Go I'll say like, we we talked about this before before the show came out before like we saw what channeling looked like, um like how would they portray channeling in the show because people who can't channel don't can't see anybody's weaves they just see the effects of things and would they show that like would they show like channeling from a non channeler's point of view right. And, like, this would have been an opportunity if that had been set up earlier to, like, you can see it from Nynaeve's point of view and then cut to Loghain's point of view to see what he sees. But that's not the visual language of the show right now. Mm -hmm. Like, they're telling you that 
this is happening and only these people can see it, right? Um, so there's no option to do that, and that's what they would have needed to do for for people who care, which is not a lot, <laughs> right? To not have a problem with the end, right? Because it Thanks doesn't for marginalizing matter. Me, Tom. It doesn't like it really doesn't matter that locate whether Logan sees it or doesn't see it. Like that doesn't have any impact on anything. It's just annoying because he shouldn't be able to see it. I like the, the power of the too, metaphor. Yeah, Kate Fleetwood was sensational. Yeah. I, I liked her performance in all aspects. Very well done. Um, I like the way she. So there's right there's a lot of. You know, how did Loghain break out of the shield, right? Yes. Okay. So before we get to you, <laughs> like, let's talk about that because it, I, I'd heard the theories that Leandrin dropped her shield. And I was like, I don't know. Like, people tried to pinpoint on the moment, like, this is when it happened. She drops her shield because we know she wants to. She talks about how if Loghain were to break free... Theoretically, we could gentle him because of the three oaths. Like, we would be within our rights to gentle him because it would be in defense of our lives, um, even though you're taking that from him. We've seen her at the beginning of, uh, like, episode one. We know that the Reds have been out there gentling men who can channel without the authority of the tower. Mm -hmm. We see the political ramifications of that a little bit in this episode, notably with Karene and Leandrin and Karene being like, you've talked to everyone else about gentling Loghain, uh, but you haven't talked to me, the leader of this mission. Um, and then that's when Leandrin just kind of talks around the idea. We remember, we hear Loghain tell Moraine after he is free that he only hears the voices when he channels. So we hear after the wards, I believe it's after Karene, the wards go off, then we turn to Loghain and there's the uh, voices muttering and that's in the subtitles. And so he is clearly channeling at that point. Mm -hmm. How is he able to do so? One eye said I can't hold him. Did Leandrin drop her shield is the question. Yeah. Or was it just the distraction of her wards going off? Gave him, yeah. you know, a moment of, I don't know. Yeah, because we we saw earlier in the episode that when Alana and Maureen kind of got too deep in conversation, he was able to push against the shield a yeah. little bit. So it could have been a just like if somebody just wasn't paying attention for a second. It might have been enough. I feel like that's something that will be addressed and they'll kind of explain that. I, I feel like that's going to happen. I don't know. I hope. That we might get a little more into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Graham, what did you uh, what did you think about Loghain being able to channel free? Did you suspect Leandrin being involved? It didn't mean that much to me. I see. <laughs> I did. Like, like okay, he's a strong guy, <laughs> and he can do that. Uh, uh, the only thing when I was watching, I, I thought uh, if there was an issue outside, there was a distraction happening. That's why the army actually came was to create a distraction, so the warders would be distracted. The warder getting involved in something would distract the eyes to die for just a second, which would allow him to do that. To creak open a little bit. That that's actually what went through my mind at the time is that the the army was a distraction so that the warders would be distracted and that would allow the Aes Sedai to reduce their power. I don't know if it was one or two or 
because there could have been three at the time, um, or if it was just so happened that it it was you know. So that's I just thought it was distraction through the warders in the in the end. I I just remember now because I, I I think at the time I thought that she took the the plugs out of his ears so he could hear that they were coming, and then he broke the shield almost as if he could have broken it at any time, but he didn't. That's and he was let, waiting for his army to get there, and she took the plugs. I don't know, but then she would have had to be involved in it in some way. Was he so like I'm a, not sure. He was like a velociraptor testing the uh, defenses, um, right? Like he was test, like yeah, and he was waiting. But I don't. But then she would have had to be in on that. Where, that she where, was trying to where could she so have gotten that information know. from? There's no way for people to communicate through dreams. That's crazy. No, I know, but. <laughs> then why would she gentle if I don't know? It's yeah, it's just a, it's a weird link circle. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I think. I originally now I'm just remembering what I originally thought mm-hmm. is that there's a moment where it looks like he, I don't know, he like reacts, his face changes, so like, like he can hear it now, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then and then he's just like, oh, I'm getting out of here now. They're here. <laughs> Tom, anything to that, or do you agree with Jen? Um, I don't think that in rewatch because we there's a bunch I in rewatch I don't think that there's any Aes Sedai conspiracy to get him released I think it's more uh, in line with the fact that like he was he knew that a distraction was coming and he had lulled him into a sense of security that two people could hold him and that was never the case like he couldn't fight all seven of them but he could probably break free of any two of them. And so, like, when the distraction came and he had a horse to get out of here or whatever, like, that was when he was going to make his move. Um, that's where I'm at. And I think that Leandrin is more just, like, uh, excited to take this opportunity to do what she's <laughs> wanted to do the whole time. It's also weird that, like, only Karene got killed. Which is like well, I, that's the one person like, who was stopped. I, I know it's just like a lucky coincidence that she was like, "Okay, now we're gonna do what I want to do because there's nobody to stop me anymore," and everyone's well, panicking. That, and that's she just, the thing, like, right? It takes over. It's not like if if it were something where like he broke out and Karete got killed and like Leandrin was fine, it would be one thing. But like they both get tossed, she just hits a pillar, you know, like. Yeah. Well, and then yeah, ultimately dies when she channels to save Moraine and and Leandrin. Mm. Yeah. Forgets right. herself. Yeah. Yes. That's true. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. But right. it is interesting. Just a lucky, just a happy <laughs> accident for Leandrin. <laughs> and, and, you know, Karene is supposed to be one of the most powerful Aes Sedai, if not the most powerful alive, maybe the second most powerful alive at the time. She couldn't make that shield big enough to cover her too. Come on. <laughs> She's exhausted. Remember, she's exhausted. That's true. She is, exhausted. and it's already okay. pre-established I that she right. doesn't I'll have her full buy in. Joe, buy in. I'll drink that Kool Aid. <laughs> uh, Jen, how did uh, how did this episode treat you with Moraine and Nynaeve and a smattering of land? Um, I liked it. I really, I really did. I liked getting into all the different relationships, seeing the warders and. Lan and Nynaeve tentatively starting something. You know, I really like that scene. Um, I like it. I love that we got to see Moraine 
with the other Aes Sedai, which we don't get at all in book one. So, or really like much of, well, whatever. <laughs> we don't get much of it at all. So I really did like to see her interplay, kind of learning about the Ajas. And I, I, it's fun for book readers to see stuff that was going on in the book that we didn't get to see. Not necessarily with Maureen and Lan involved in it, but this was happening in the background somewhere with the other Aes Sedai. So it was fun that we got to see this. Yeah, and the true realities of like, how do you take a gent, like someone who you're shielding, how do you get that person all the way yeah. to Tar <laughs> while continuing to shield him if he's truly this powerful? Like, yeah. I... I found myself empathizing with Leandrin, which I never thought I would do. <laughs> <laughs> she makes a lot of good points. That's all, you know. Um, so when when you do the next episode, uh, hopefully you can solve the question that we had for episode five when it came up, which is his cage gets oh. destroyed <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and they roll up to Tarvalon at the beginning of episode five and over again. I, and he's just sitting on a horse. But when they're in Tarvalon, he's back in a cage. So where did they get the, the other cage? cage? The uh, they call the cage yeah. company and get a new cage sent just, out. I hope you know. We already, we already Big decided. City. They dial them up. Big city, Tarvalon. They dial them up. They're like, the they're like, we're coming yeah. in with a procession. We are cageless. Right. We, need a new we cage. look ridiculous. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. We're about to bring a man through the streets that's been gentled. And we need like... We need some smashing pumpkins to play right now. Like we need that rat in the cage and it doesn't make sense if it's just man on horse. Right. They won't even know who to throw tomatoes at. Who Come will on. they thought, know to scorn? I thought There's many men like on a, horses here. Three at least. We can't, we can't let the omelette know we ruined the old the other cage. So we need a cage that looks just like the one that we left in. Maureen, call your cage guy. This is pertinent. Yes. Of course, exact replica. Of course she has a cage guy. It's like, just wait out here until the cage is done. It's like when your kid's pet dies and you try to replace yeah. it with an exact replica of the pet. <laughs> Something's what? different about this cage. Wasn't I don't care about my finger on it. Wasn't the cage created by Aes Sedai power? Was it, it wasn't a real cage. Wasn't it a cage? No, that I was think it was. No, no, it was he just melted did, it he, down. He melted it. Well, it, it didn't really melt, right? It was kind of getting dissolved. There was no dripping yeah. of melting metal. Oh, I, it kind of got I, dissolved. So as a watcher, oh. I thought it was it was just a magical cage oh, that was created by the Aes Sedai. A metaphorical cage. And so, mm. Oh, I like that. All right, I'll go with that. That works. But doesn't he shoot the shards in the cage at the Aes Sedai? No, right? that, Isn't that, what that, she, that axe. That was the axe. That, you had that was no the, problem that was the with. weapons no. that Steph No, had. no, no. That was the, he, he shattered Steph's weapons. To, no, to Karenna. That's how Karenna dies. No, I thought that was just like a power. Oh, the first, I don't. The actually, first. I didn't know what they were. I thought they were. I thought it was the black, the black tendrils that came out yeah. and just. Yeah, he made three of them really shot. No, because Karenna's got something stuck in her, like physically stuck. Oh yeah, I know, but I thought it was. I thought he made some of those black tentacles real. That, that's what I. Oh, that's oh what I, I see. Saw. I, I don't know. That's. So I want to go from the cage. Now I want to go pause on it. Now I have to do we'll a reread. <laughs> Re -re 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 it was still just <laughs> shots of the cage. <laughs> <laughs> we'll in the cage. 
Oh. <laughs> That's the next year's parody. That's your parody. We're good. If I'm Billy still Co- just locating a cage. <laughs> if Billy Corrigan makes a cameo appearance on the next season of Wheel of Time, uh, that no, will it's, be uh, epic. Billy Corrigan as the cage guy. <laughs> you didn't see him in Tarvalon. Oh, watch, watch episode five again. He's in the background. You can look for look beside Patton Fane. He's next to the barber. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the cage, that's fun. The cage is always a, that's a fun little thing. I like that they have a brand new cage show. I think it's funny. Uh, Tom, any other thoughts on the good parts of this cha- the changes from the book? Uh, did you like the sexual tension between Lan and Nynaeve? The old tongue serving it up. Ooh. A little, like, (laughs) exposition into Nynaeve's past with her parents and actually getting some pardoning words. Manetherin Uh, reference again. You gave me another thing I didn't like, too. (laughs) Nynaeve's past. Why did they change her past? Why? I think you'll find that out. I think that will be addressed in the next season. Why they did it. I I hope they just leave it alone. I didn't love that either, honestly. Um, I'm not exactly sure why because there's most of the other just changes for television's sake or for whatever reason like kind of rolled off uh, my back but like I didn't love the old tongue scene between them everything else I did like um, uh, it is really good to find out that like the relationship that Lan and Moraine have as Water and Aes Sedai is not the standard only relationship that I, Waters and Aes Sedai have, and that and not the kinkiest. Yeah. That bath scene looks pretty mild after yeah. we see some of these, right? Right. Yeah. right. I like how Nynaeve thinks that though. She's like, what? She's like, all these. Oh, now he's suddenly tired. Their Aes Sedai, and then yeah, Lan's right. like, I'm going to bed, and she's like, starting to think, and you see like a yeah. churning in her head, like, is she gonna is he gonna go sleep with Moraine? Is this she's what, like, like, I gotta make a move right now. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait any longer. I'm gonna get him right in the jugular. Oh. I gotta go interrupt his b- water bowl prayer or whatever he's doing there. But like, even like, um, outside of the sexual relationship, the fact that like we talked about this, I think we originally did it, but like the Karenna and and Stepan relationship, they're like brother and sister, yeah. right? You know, mm. and it's very they're two equals. They're very casual and relaxed with each other. They play off and, each other so well. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and like to see that there's no like it's not it's not only just uh, it's not one dynamic it's not two dynamics where Lan and Moraine are separate from everybody else it's this could be any way it's there's a multitude of dynamics here and that I think just in a very subtle way kind of broadens the world up right you don't have to there's a lot of telling instead of showing here because there's so much to tell but that is something where they don't directly tell you they they do kind of address it but like they also show you and i think the show is yeah no i i agree we didn't really get much of the other green eyes Sedai who also had two warders um but we saw her like yeah, what's it with the that was the big argument where somebody said, well, I couldn't be blue. I couldn't just be with one warder. Yeah. I think the oh, yeah, said yeah. that, right? Yeah. During the Jenny conversation. And I was like, hmm, she's into threesomes. Very cool. Very good. Yes. A strong thrupling. Um, Yeah. Exposition. I mean, I 
I enjoy this for what it is, which is very much written for TV to allow people to jump into the world, especially because this is this isn't an eye of the world and a lot of the understanding of Aja's and the relationships between warders, we don't even get in like the first three books. Like it takes a long time to really flesh this out. And I like that they're trying to do it in season one. I like that we're getting an explanation. I loved Alana talking about the battle Aja um, and why she chose it. Like you could have been blue and she was like, well, yeah, like, (laughs) only one warder but she also talks about like i chose green i knew what i was signing up for i knew that i was saying i was going to be at the last battle to protect humanity against Mm. the dark one that is what i signed up for (laughs) didn't she say the opposite didn't she say i didn't think i would actually be alive to see yeah she was like i didn't think it would like (laughs) actually like that's what i knew i was doing and what i was training for but like didn't think it would be my lifetime and here yeah. we are the end of the age is here so fun but she still meets it with like <laughs> like she's all in she knows like yeah, this isn't yeah. what i wanted like no one wants to face the last battle but you know what i'm here and like to actually see the green sisters like karena and alana specifically to see them be able to wage battle like Alana in the woods channeling and taking out an entire rabble army is epic um, to know that Karene has held off armies um, using just her using the power to know that she to watch her her last kind of ounce of strength is to save the other two sisters with her they are clearly equipped they clearly know the weaves uh, to wield when they're in battle. So I like that we saw a little bit more of the battle Aja actually being um, being their namesake and, and doing what they're supposed to do instead of twiddling their thumbs and being like, ah, heck, ah, gee, wish I could do something about this. Like, I like that. I did like that the green Aja went on the hunt for the, the male channelers. I did like that. Yeah, with the reds. That's a change. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, and I liked that the Reds themselves, like we saw them, you know, in episode one, we knew what they were doing. I liked that Tom in his conversation with Rand specifically says it was the Reds. So the rest of the world knows that it's not all Aes Sedai, that it's the Reds that people who can channel need to fear specifically. So I liked all of the very intentional references to the Aes Sedai and still having the blue Asha be like don't really know what the fuck they do um <laughs> like spy and shit um Leandrin's conversation with Nynaeve is a standout to me the cold chicken <laughs> if you will uh <laughs> while she's trying to recruit Nynaeve I like and I hate that um, we got the question from Nynaeve, how long have you known Moraine? And we never get the answer. Yeah. We just mm-hmm. come back to them and they're talking about, and then Moraine chose the blue. So like, yeah. what did she tell her? How deep did yeah. Leandrin go? And then the second she leaves, Nynaeve's like, nah, she's a snake. Fucking snake. Yeah. <laughs> Are there a lot of them <laughs> like that? Uh, so I really like that we're getting the the interplay in the dynamics this early 
like episode four of season one. So it's not going to be a surprise later when we continue to see that politicking um, and expanding some of some of the other Aja's. Uh, yeah, some of it was a bit clunky. <laughs> I don't think everyone expositions as well as Rosamund Pike, <laughs> nor can we expect them to. Um, Alana, like Priyanka Bose, stole the show. There is uh, <laughs> Sherbet Mango at WatCon wore a shirt that says, um, show Alana. Not like intentionally, like yeah. show Alana, not book Alana. Um, yeah. As you know, Priyanka Bose basically uh, came in and continue to watch her because every scene she's in, big or small, she just creates these little moments uh, that are stand out to me. Um, so I, I really love her and I can't say anything bad about her. Uh, the healing wave. Initially, I was upset about, and then someone reminded me that a thing happens in, I think it's Path of Daggers, so book eight, and that this, uh, something like this can be considered canon, um, and then it stopped bugging me, and now we're left with Like a Raging Sun, um, <laughs> so I do like, like that. Stone. I do like that it shows Nynaeve's strength. I do like the change uh, from book to show that women can be as strong as men in the power. And we're not going to deal with some of that gender bullshit um, about. So I don't think this is a spoiler at all. Um, but basically, Robert Jordan said that men are stronger in the power. Um, but women are more deft with the way they wield it. So that that equals the strength, but men are are yeah. have the more raw power. Uh, yeah. And the show was like <laughs> it goes with the physical strength alignment, right? Uh, say what you will, the male skeleton is a stronger skeleton than a female skeleton. So men can lift more, men can in general it, can b break more, stuff like that. So he just followed the physical stereotype of men versus women. Men have a stronger use, but we're not as fucking clever as the women, so they yeah. know how to do it better. Uh, and yep. that's just that's just it, right? Like he's he's relying a lot on like the stereotypes and like um, the '90s uh, versions of things. And I really like that the show was just like, you know what? There actually isn't a reason that this fictional and fantastical power can't be wielded by both equally. Uh, so Egwene is going to be as strong as Loghain, uh, and maybe even stronger. Nynaeve is going to be stronger than Loghain. She is go he is going to feel like a pinprick against what she can do. So I like that right off the hop. They, they showed that pretty clearly, right? It was like, mm -hmm. that's that to me was, by the way, what his stare was like, fuck, I thought I was strong. I, I don't got this. That's I mean, he may not have seen it. I didn't pick up that part about the women can't see men and men can't see women weave. But he certainly saw the the result of the power. And I think he was more gobsmacked like, fuck, I'm yeah. not that strong. God damn. So that, that was my takeaway on that yeah. one. So it was a cool nod to, I think, I think it was a little book reader nod when, when Leandrin comes up to to talk to Nynaeve and he says, she calls her Nynaeve. <laughs> like, I, I haven't heard your accent. Like, the mispronunciation of her name was like, oh my God, that's 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 for the book readers right there. Yeah, it makes, 
no sense because she's not like she's seen her name written like why would why would she go with that pronunciation that's just, well said. it's totally for well book said. readers yeah. she's like I didn't pick up your accent that's because yeah. I haven't spoken to you yeah. <laughs> that's a great response <laughs> yeah no the uh the leandra and nynaeve interactions are some of my favorite i just actually love the way kate fleetwood is with everyone like her scathing mm-hmm. condemnation of moraine to moraine's face is a highlight <laughs> of the episode just like any chance she can to dig at her she will and uh, <laughs> uh dad you're gonna see this on the next episode but when we when Leandrin and Maureen are talking in Tarvalon, we get this moment where Leandrin brushes the hair off Maureen's face. Oh, <laughs> like, God. there is some stuff that is going on there that, like, no one knows, book readers or show watchers alike. And uh, I, I'm intrigued. She's, she's got me intrigued, and I really want to know what her conversation was with Nynaeve. <laughs> about how Moraine then just chose Blue Aja 20 minutes mm. later. <laughs> that kind of wraps up our discussion unless Jen or Tom you have any other comments about Healing Weave the big kaboom. No, I, think, I think it's a good place to end it. <laughs> um, so we always end with the rose and thorn of the episode so the best and worst to you and Joe you can only choose one you can only choose one thorn there must only be one one, one thorn one thorn, thorn. alright do me last then. the thorniest of the thorns <laughs> the biggest thorn that ever thorned uh, Graham your rose and thorn from episode 4 oh man I really thought you were going to Joe on this <laughs> try to go through um, Rose actually just you, you brought it up a minute ago in your conversation uh, it, it was the exchange with Leandrin and Nynaeve and it was the line where Leandrin said I don't know how to pronounce your name and I just loved the way Nynaeve responded that's because I haven't said anything yet I just loved it I just loved the look on her face and then just the, the way they exchanged it so in all of that I think Nynaeve recognized that Leandrin was a woman of power and she's really important to the Aes Sedai but she wasn't given a fucking inch Nynaeve had it she's still in control she doesn't trust these people and she had I just loved that little interplay and, and how it came about and the actors did such a such a great thing um I think my thorn was the cheesy use of the doll to show, um, you know, disaster happened. Yes, not only did they have to kill the family, the child separately, and then show the doll that protected the child. I just thought that was a little over the top. It was like unnecessary, you know, didn't didn't dig it. That was, there you go. You got issues with Brigitte the doll. Noted. Brigida, yes. Noted. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> I don't mind the use of a Brigida. I just didn't like the way they wrapped up Brigida. As soon as I saw Brigida, I knew there was a scene going to come up with Brigida lying somewhere and the child dead. So it was like, <laughs> wow. It's like, really? You're going to do this? You're going to be that? Uh, yeah, 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 you did that. Yeah, You're right there. Yeah, yeah you did yeah. that. And that was the first watch I thought that the, the, the first time. It was like, oh, man. So, so heavy handed. Wayne? I love you. I think you did a great job, Rings of Power. <laughs> this is my favorite episode. That one little bit, dude, it's like slapping the, the viewers in the face. We're not all that dumb. As soon as, <laughs> yeah, you're right. As soon as he took the doll, you're like, this girl's toast. <laughs> oh, she, <laughs> she's <laughs> going to die. <laughs> yep. like, a, like, a, like an older cop going, oh, man, I only got two more weeks to retirement. 
Like, no, no, no. Don't <laughs> say that. Don't even say that. You're not. Don't say it. You're dead by the end of this movie. <laughs> oh, Jen, you're, you're yeah. Rose and Thorn. Um, I think my rose is the conversation between Alana and Moraine. I really like that. I like how Maureen does sort of open up to her by the end of it. Sort of, you could see that they were friends at one point, And I like seeing that from Maureen. Even though she's not fully opening up, there's a little bit you there. You get some smiles. That you could see, yeah. <laughs> that was my number two, by the way, for sure. Okay. That was a great exchange, yeah. <laughs> and my thorn, it has to be the axe going through the shield. It just, it's just not a physical object. I know it was nice visually for the for the TV medium, but it just, in the context of the show, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I didn't like that. Thorned. Tom, Rose and Thorn. Um, <laughs> you know, you're saving Joe to the end. Oh, this is awesome. He's got some time to really illuminate on this. He's got like 17 thorns. And this is, I think, one of the, the stronger episodes of uh, but my, my thorn is, and I mentioned this earlier. I didn't. I really didn't like the uh, the naive land scene with the old tongue and like that, like the the Nynaeve background, and mm. I, I, it didn't land right with me. And I do believe that there's a payoff for that, like ch- change, and we'll see that, and we'll probably see that in the next season. But for whatever reason, it just didn't sit right with me, and it didn't sit right with me on rewatch either. Um, my rose is not actually my own rose watching the show. It's just the joy that I've had in the last year since the show has come out. <laughs> my rose is the setup of the camp. Uh, I love the setup of the camp and the fact that the cave is an indistinguishable location from where the tents are because of how irrationally angry it makes Joe. And that gives me much pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. So your rose is geography. <laughs> Purposeful geography that just sets Joe off. That's it. Yeah. Um, my rose is probably Alana. Yeah, as a just whole. Just in general. Uh, more specifically, though, during the um, during the the battle scene. Like I said, I was really rewatching it. I was like, oh man, her gestures using the one power yeah. were just phenomenal. Um, so I'm just going to give Alana uh, my rose. <laughs> she gets to stay. Just if. Priyanka <laughs> um, <laughs> gets my rose. And my thorn, I was going to stick, I was going to go with what Jen said with the axe breaking through the shield because that's just dumb. Um, I, I was almost like, I was going to forgive like just the poor, the poor response to the army attacking. Um, and that has to do with the setup of the camp, which is Tom's <laughs> rose. Um, but you don't, they have the most, the, the, the most, one of the most powerful channelers they've met that it's, it's taking them two people, the strongest people to, first of all, why not just have three or four of them? If two of them, if you need the two strongest, you can just have more Aes Sedai. There's seven of them there, but to put them in a cave which appears to be, you know, hundreds of yards, <laughs> a quarter mile from the camp. And then mile. the waters aren't there. 
<laughs> You're just leaving the Aes Sedai with this guy who's super strong. They constantly are talking about how dangerous it is and how much of a drain it is. So let's keep him really far away and far away from the water. So that way, if he escapes, there's no chance we're ever going to recapture him. So that's my thorn. <laughs> I don't want to get into this, man. But if he escapes, the waters aren't doing anything. <laughs> Yeah. Like well, why no, would he? It makes if, sense if he's that dangerous to keep no, him away from the regulars. If his army, if his army comes, or let's say they decide to do some sort of sneak attack, the Aes Sedai can't do anything because they're in a cave and they're using all their power, holding a shield. If they had to fight, if the army came in, and I know she's got wards, but all her wards do is say there's people coming. <laughs> they could just walk in the cave. They would have to tr- drop their shields to take care of the army, and then Logan would be free. Easy. Simple, simple plan. Easy. We've executed far more complicated plans playing Dungeons and Dragons, though. So. <laughs> Very true. So, not battle tacticians. <laughs> yeah. No. There's my thought. Uh, my my rose is the conversation between Illa and Perrin. Um, oh. I love it. Like, there was a lot of good stuff in the battle, too, but in terms of stuff that sticks with me and continues to stick with me a year later, uh, that's something that lands just as hard as it does on rewatch, um, as it did, like, on the first watch. My thorn is... Oof. That's a... Hmm. What did I really hate? I think my thorn was losing... Karenna this early I understand that it needed to happen in one episode um I know that we okay in part because episode three we talked a little bit about how Lan Moray Nynaeve went on kind of long and there were some scenes that definitely could have been cut I think I would have liked if we'd had a little bit more of Karenna in episode three um just because of what we're now setting up to in episode five and the impact of that loss. So my thorn, not enough, not enough Karene, not enough time with her and not enough time. I think between her and Stepan, I could have used a couple more of those conversations. And if that meant that having the warder actually come to the cave a quarter mile away <laughs> to check on his eyes to die and have some conversations with her there or keep watch with her at night, just hang out with her while she was like basically, you know, nodding off. Um, I, I think I would have appreciated that a bit more, a little bit more um, time with them because of of what we're setting up to. But on the whole, I'm happy with it. I think it still is going to sit around episode like spot two or three for me um, <laughs> as we go. Would you believe that this is probably my second or third favorite episode <laughs> of the season? <laughs> I would not. <laughs> I want to do episode eight. I know. Uh, I, think we'll I, just, <laughs> I originally liked it. I originally rated it pretty high, but I, uh, going back, I think that's that's going to change. We've got some good guests for that one that will hopefully get everyone's <laughs> mind to change about episode eight. Ooh. But we'll see. Um, Talker and Riyadh crew, tell us what you've got coming down the pipe. I know that you've been doing deep dives into Origins of the Wheel of Time by Michael Livingston, mm-hmm. and you've got an interview out with Michael Livingston, and I know that because I've listened cool. to them, and it's exceptional. Um, so you've done A to E of the glossary now. Uh, who is coming up for you to talk about F to 
F, we're doing F to M is our next episode, and we've got the wonderful, amazing Watt spoilers. Seth and Aradia yeah. are going to be joining us. Awesome. Oh, they're hilarious. Yeah. At least I see them on Twitter. I love them on Twitter. They're, they're yeah, hilarious. Yeah, they're great. Um, so, yeah, we're, I'm excited about that, having them on. That that So, Watt spoilers is like how I got into Wheel of Time podcasts. <laughs> um, that was like my introduction into the podcast, and probably is why we created a Wheel of Time podcast. So, it's exciting to have them on. And then we don't have anybody planned for it. We're going to do one more session, I think, on what origins, but we don't have uh, a guest specifically lined up. We're working on getting a guest for that. Yeah. A strong N guest. We'll see. And we just had, uh, yeah, we just did A through E with uh, with Matt and Brian from Barside Chats, which was a lot of fun. Um, so go check that one out. That's uh, lots to talk about spanking and BDSM and. All the good, but full, spo- full spoilers. Uh, any any non oh, yes. non full spoiler shows planned with your buddy, the, or are we just we're doing the water holiday the thing? Um, mm-hmm. Those we usually try and keep that a little bit spoiler light because you might get people. Uh, it's gonna uh, no, it's gonna be at least spoilers through book six because we're doing we're gonna do a Mad Libs and it's it's. About halfway through the series, the section, the scene we're going to do. So it'll be a little spoilery. So uh, for those who don't know, because this episode is dropping on Thursday, December 1st, uh, Watt mm. Holiday is um, this Saturday, December 3rd, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern, Seven, 7.30? I think 7.30, yeah. 7.30 or 8.30. One of those hours, look on yeah. Twitter, I don't know. Uh, until 8.30 on Sunday, December 4th. Talk Ran Riyadh. You guys are on at 7 p.m., I think, on Sunday, December 4th. We're going to actually be on... We're going to be playing Watchinary, so we'll be on it, We'll be on with the the Watchinary group at 6. Okay. Way of the yes, Leaf it, first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Watchinary is full spoilers. Um I will be on. Uh, Graham, I don't know if you want to jump in for this one. Uh, there may be full spoilers. We haven't decided. Um, Won't mean anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing uh, multiverse villain fucking. Um, so wow. <laughs> shipping uh, villains with various protagonists, how they would hook up, who they would hook up with, uh, and whether it's, it's gonna, if they'll, if they'll make it. Who are you doing that with? (laughs) So I'm doing that with Jesse, uh, the Amarillin seat, uh, lesbian nerdy, Kayla, master of the deck, and, uh, (laughs) the host of Wada Holiday. You gotta have master of the (laughs) deck's gotta be part of that. The host of the, the Wada Holiday. Also very funny. Yeah, she's great. She's very funny. Uh, I, I do enjoy her tweets. Yeah. So um, we're going to be doing that at 9 a.m. Eastern because what a what better time to talk about what villains uh, you'd like to fuck. Um, so we, we've morning. got some good ones in there. There's Cruella DeVille. There's Hook. Um, you know, <laughs> other fantasy. Captain Hook. <laughs> Specific- oh, you're going outside of the wheel. Okay. We are okay. specifically from Once Upon a Time. Is that the name of that terrible TV show? Yes. 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 (laughs) Yeah, so it'll be fun. And it's all for charity. We are fucking for charity. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> Come watch us fuck for charity. Come watch us fuck for charity. <laughs> uh, well, that's all of it uh, here from Feather and Mountain Podcast. You can find Talk Rand Riyadh. Obviously, I will link everything in the show description. Um, but they are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and available on every podcasting stream. Um, they do have some spoiler free stuff starting at episode 114. Yeah, wow. it's the show. Whenever we talk, when we covered the show, I can't believe you knew that. But I guess you hear it at the beginning at of every, every episode. episode right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's there's not much spoiler-free content, but there's yeah, we when we do some. our show reviews, we got a, a good like ten or twelve episodes yeah. or so. There's a couple, um, and <laughs> so you can catch them on every every major podcasting platform. Uh, Feather and Mountain Podcast. We are uh, still unfortunately on Twitter. <laughs> We're gonna go down with this ship. <laughs> Dido style. Uh, we are on Instagram. We're on every major podcasting platform. You can email us at Feather and Mountain Podcast at uh, gmail.com. And if you have any criticisms that aren't rooted in constructive uh, critique of the show, uh, you can email that to um, find Joe in the cave. <laughs> no no facebook those that stuff's safe for facebook facebook.com <laughs> uh, thanks friends for joining we'll see you next week when we have lesbian nerdy and uh Shansony on to talk about episode five see you then bye namare